Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by our Top 11 Villains Tournament. We are back. We are back with the fourth and final round before we do our Mega Top 11 Tournament. And this time, we're going to be doing Horror Villains. And I feel like I say this every episode. This might have been my favorite list. I'm not sure because I've said that, I think, four times in a row. So uh, this, I, w- I think, actually, for me personally, was my toughest list, guys. I thought it was actually really genuinely extremely difficult. Um, and I'll explain why once we get into the actual show. But Candlestick Will, we have a guest from your side of town introduce our, new- our newest and first guest in quite some time to the Goldcast. Well, as soon as we started coming up with some ideas for the, the next set of top 11s and we went to movies and then we went to villains and we went to our categories, the second we decided we would do a horror one, I knew I wanted to get Brian on because um, he's a huge horror fan. He's a writer for uh, a horror blog that um, gives him an opportunity to share his expertise with the uh, genre to, to ma- uh, many fans of the horror genre. And if we were going to do... A top 11 I knew his list would be as authentic as anyone's especially since mine won't be and uh, <laughs> and so Brian is a, 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 a family member on Twitter <laughs> uh, just like you and you and Ray are and uh, so I had to bring him on for the the horror version of this top 11 awesome and then Brian if you could let us know what is the what's the horror blog that you uh, write on that you, is it yours is it one you've created no I uh, I write for several outlets um uh the biggest ones are uh, dread central um and ghastly grinning and uh i have a monthly column at a small website called uh, manor vellum um, my most recent um articles have been at uh, f this movie and at uh, bloody disgusting so oh uh, nice i've been kind of all over the place uh since i started doing this not all that long ago, uh, in October is when, when I had my first article published. So I'm just um, having a blast doing it for as long as I can. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. And yeah, bloody disgusting. That is a, that's a classic, classic no, site there. That's awesome. Great site. Yeah, that's a great site. Well done, sir. Well done. All right. So here we go. We are going to be doing our top 11s horror villains podcast now as we mentioned this is the last episode before we do our all-out tournament of the top 11 greatest villains of all time across all genres so this is the last one this is the last genre that we are going to be diving into and i can't wait as i mentioned uh, already i said this offline before we went on air and i told the guys i think uh i don't think anyone in this group may care but I think some people, listeners, are going to be really pissed at my first four. <laughs> I think they're going to be really mad at how low I rank some people. Uh, it's, it, and I'll explain why when we get to the section where we explain our, uh, our individual lists. But uh, here we go. Gold Cask is back in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. <laughs> Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis I, baby. And our esteemed co-host, Candlestick Will. 
That is, it's the most epic <laughs> podcast intro I've ever seen so far. I love it. And then please, for the audience, our special guest, if you can introduce yourself to the Goldcast family. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Kuiper, a writer around the web. And uh, yeah, glad to be here. Really glad to be here. Awesome. All right. So we didn't do our proper intros, guys, before we got started. I got so excited. I just jumped right in. Uh, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find the Goldcast to talk uh, top 11 horror villains of all time? The best place to always find us is on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. You can also follow us on Spotify. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Every single platform that exists that has podcasts, we are on it. Um, Spotify being one of the biggest ones that uh, that we've recently been on, but uh, we are syndicated throughout the entire interwebs. So just look for the Goldcast. That moniker is across all platforms, with the exception of Twitter, which is the underscore Goldcast. So like, subscribe, and comment because we certainly want to get your take on what is mine, and I know Rudy's also one of our personal favorite genre, movie genres of all time. Absolutely. And then Candlestick will let them know where can they find us if they want to discuss just top 11 podcasts. Right now, so the best way is Twitter at top 11 podcast, top 11 podcast. Share your thoughts, share what your top 11 would be, and share all the things wrong with our lists. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And then, Brian, if they wanted to reach out to you, to you specifically to talk horror, where can they find you? Well, uh, Twitter is probably the easiest place to find me as well uh, at Brian D Kuiper. Uh, Kuiper is K-E-I-P-E-R. Um, uh, all my writing kind of lives there. I try to share it around from there. So. Awesome. And then you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at the same handle. I am Rudy Third. I am Rudy Three R D. All right, guys, uh, here we go. This, as I mentioned, for me personally, this was, without a doubt, the toughest list. I had a really hard time figuring out who would go on honorable mentions, who would go on the list, where people should be ranked, um, wh you know, why why villains are ranked higher than others. I mean, I don't know. I had a bitch of a time. Uh, Raymond, how did you do? Um, I got the list down pretty quick. And then as I got the honorable mention list down, that's when it got a little bit challenging for me just because I wanted to go a little bit of different route too. I was not only was I looking at impressions of horror films from my childhood inappropriately all the way through up to my adulthood, but also looking at um, recent films too, just because uh, horror has come back really strong in the last half decade. And uh, there's a lot of, there's like three or four really good horror directors out there too. So I, I didn't want to necessarily let those, uh, those films go unsung either. So I was a little challenged with uh, the old stuff in addition to the new stuff. Yeah, I, I found for me, the honorable, the honorable mentions list ended up becoming my, it basically became my top like 10 indie horror film characters of all time list. That's basically what that became. So I was like, I was like, all right, I put pretty much all the mainstream big ones um, in that list on the, on the main list. And then all, a lot of the, a lot of uh, either indie horror film characters that I really love or horror characters that maybe have become pretty antiquated, you know, in this era of horror, I kind of all ended up on that list. And earlier, and earlier yours was a little bit more, 
your list was is a little bit more unique. Explain for the audience why that is. Well, I think you can argue that very few of the films that I have, you know, where my characters are from, are traditional horror films. Um, but mostly that's because I just don't have the background in horror that you guys do. And so I really tried to come up with this who were some of the scariest characters that I have in my past that I love in, instead of just the ones that are the scariest or the ones that are the best villains in horror because I don't have the background. I haven't seen some of the great horror films multiple times to really, you know, dive into that villain, you know, enough to be able to rank it uh, accurately. So what I'm excited about for this episode is to actually get an education on horror from the three of you um, because I, I feel like I'm going to end up hearing about a dozen films I either haven't seen or haven't seen in a long time and be excited about re-watching them and seeing them again um, to get a sense of, okay, if that one really was your number one or number two or whatever, you know, maybe I need to go re, you know, re-watch that and, and check it out for myself again. Awesome. Now, Brian, let me ask you, with someone who literally writes about horror for a living, how on earth did you amass a, a list of 11 given I'm sure probably of the four of us your knowledge base is probably the deepest and I, I will gladly concede that to you even without having read any of your writing how does a guy <laughs> like you coming from your perspective possibly create a list of just 11 horror villains and in and in some type of ranking well I have to I have to correct you a little bit because I um, I don't make my living writing it it's sort of a side hustle um that that I've just kind of dove into recently but um boy I I made a huge list I just wrote down every horror villain that I, of any kind that I liked um and and I filled a couple of pages <laughs> full of them that's great and and then and then I was like oh crap so I had to make myself a rule so all of my villains have to actively intend to harm and enjoy it. Ooh. So nice. <laughs> so so basically that cancels out like the, the the animal villains and things like that. I had to I had to be like I had to be brutal and just like pick pick 11 that, you know, and quite frankly, I look at this I'll look at this tomorrow and say uh list would be completely different. <laughs> you know, tomorrow that it, that it will be today, but you know, and, and and I'm sure that you know if some of my friends in the horror community hear my list, some of them are going to be uh, pissed off. <laughs> and I and I'm I'm fine with that though, man. <laughs> One of the rules on on top eleven is that your bias is completely allowed to be part of the list. You do not have to placate to any expectations. Um, this can absolutely be a biased list of favorites versus oh. the best. And, oh, uh, it is. <laughs> and and to and to me that anytime you're ranking something it by almost by definition it can't be objective, otherwise it's a boring list. So the the more the more personal connections you have to the characters, the more personal connections you have to your explanation for why they're ranked as high as they are, the better. So um, and one of the and just full disclosure, there's been at least one or two episodes already in in top eleven history where in the middle of the show I'm like changing my list because i'm like 
you know what? Actually, I'm going to rank this one higher. We haven't got to the, you know, we haven't got to that number yet. Let me bump this one up, <laughs> you know, or someone's mentioned one. I'm like, I got to include that in my honorable mention because, you know, I, I can't believe I didn't think of that one. Um, so there might be some of that even as we, as we get going. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right, guys. So let's get into this. Let's begin Raymond, uh, you always set off our top 11 list, so I'm dying to hear your 11 through 8. Let's get okay. going, buddy. All right. Uh, this, was, this was challenging. The, the latter half of it was challenging. Um, but I decided to go with some uh, newer stuff just because it made a very uh, strong impression on me. I've got uh, It Follows. At number 10, I've got The Indigenous Clan from Bone Tomahawk. At number nine, I've got The Devil, uh, played by, or a.k.a. John Milton from The Devil's Advocate. And at number eight, I've got Brundlefly from The Fly, 1986. Brian, what about you? Okay. At number 11, I have Death from the Final Destination franchise. Nice. Ten is a tie uh, between Severin, played by Bill Paxton in Near Dark, and quote-unquote Max Shrek, played by Willem Dafoe in Shadow of the Vampire. Number nine, this is the one that's going to get me in trouble, <laughs> is Michael Myers. Oh, wow. <laughs> you sound yeah. like my list now. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah. All right. And number eight, Charles Lee Ray, a.k.a. Chucky from the Child's Play series. Wow. Ooh. Rudy, you go for it. All right. Uh, number 11 is Leatherface... And it's a tie with Leatherface and the Sawyer family for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. That's number 11. <laughs> and number 10. It's another one that I also... These first three might get me in trouble too, Brian. <laughs> Actually, the first four. Uh, Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th franchise is number 10. Number 9 is Chucky from the Chucky franchise. And number 8 is... Uh, uh, my boy Ghostface from the Scream franchise. Mm, nice one. Yeah. All, all ranked. I think us, a lot of people would put some of those guys much higher, but uh, this is about as far as I think those guys are capable of going on this list. Well, we haven't heard the rest of yours, so we'll, we'll, see. we'll wait to judge. <laughs> Candlestick Will, what about you? Um, all right. All right, so I've got uh, Baby Jane Hudson from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane at number 11. I've got Alex Forrest from Fatal Attraction at number 10. I've got Alex from A Clockwork Orange at number 9. And I've got Jack Torrance from The Shining at number 8. I was wondering when I was going to hear him. I knew we'd hear him somewhere in the beginning. I was waiting for where Jack Torrance was going to end up be ranked in someone's list. All right, Ray, break it down for us. All right, so I went. I saw It Follows on a whim. I think I was just skimming through films in a horror section. I was like, sure, I'll check this out. And this is back in 2015, and this is really the year that um, that for me started. I started to catch up and started to follow horror a little bit more closely for the stuff that was coming out to see if it was any good or not. And this was the one of the first films I saw in the last half decade that really kind of just threw me for a loop. It follows really kind of just caught me off guard. I thought the score was excellent. I thought the mood and the atmosphere was very well done. The cinematography was outstanding. The acting of these actors I had never heard of that were all really young was extremely convincing. And the, the whole premise of the film, 
of sleep with someone and then this weird entity that could be anybody will just methodically follow you and and kill you once it gets to you in a multitude of different ways the film there's not many deaths in the film but the couple that they show us are both very distinct from one another they're very different from each other um, and so, um, and I begged Rudy for years to, to, to watch this film. Me and my uncle both um, were begging him to see it. You got to see it. You got to see it. You got to see it. It, it. it goes right in there with, with the, the, the main group of horror films that we love. It just strikes all the right tones in all the right places. Never heard of it, but it, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, Indigenous Clan is another one, also 2015, that I saw recently that just caught me off guard. A friend of mine who's not even a big horror guy, or actually not a friend of ours, our cousin, Nick, Nick Gonzalez, told me to watch it. And he's like, you'll like it. And he didn't say anything about it. And I was like, all right. He said, he said just don't watch trailer because it'll give most of it away. I was like, okay. So I watched the film on a recommendation. And once again, I was just caught off guard from beginning to end. And again, terrific acting. There's, there's not much music here. It's all just kind of just the film that you're hearing. You're hearing the walking, the footsteps, the sounds, everything, the dialogue, and Kurt Russell doing very good Kurt Russell things. Uh, he has the best, some of the best lines in that film. Um, the indigenous clan is absolutely brutal, probably the most brutal villain in this list, um, just what they do. And it's just a part of their culture is the craziest thing about it. And um, I don't want to go too much into it just because Rudy hasn't seen it yet. But I, I know you know some, some about it, but it's definitely worth a watch. Again, at fantastic cinematography, everything. It just hits all the right tones. And again, caught me off guard. I like Western horror. I was like, I don't know a lot of Western horrors off the top of my head. I don't think I've seen any, at least that I like. Um, and then The Devil, John Milton, Devil's Advocate. This film actually has a personal... Um, attachment i have a personal attachment to this film because um i was blown away by it when i first saw it but more importantly in college um, i chose it for a speech i had to do a speech a performance speech in college and i was always so impressed with al pacino's um, monologue at the end of the film when he's kind of revealing himself it's like the, it's in the third act of the film and i i recited that speech verbatim with the mannerisms and everything and the tone and everything to the point where nobody in the class wanted to go after me with their speech because i was like one of the first to go in the class and i obviously got an a plus on the assignment uh for my performance and that was because the film just had this crazy impression on me because i again another film that just kind of it, it starts off really unassuming and then as it trudges along it kind of goes on the, the the path to darkness just gets bleaker and bleaker and more ominous and more ominous and finally you hit the end and it just hits you and it's great um i think it's a it's a really good film and I, you, how can you go wrong with Al Pacino, Keanu Reeves, Charlize Theron? I mean, it has a strong cast. It was, it was shot. I think the, the aforementioned films, um, I think, have better cinematography and sound um, and, and, and overall mood and, and theme. But the reason why I put him up there is because it's the devil. You know, he's, he's got so much overwhelming power. And it's, it's, uh, it's obviously shown throughout the whole film. It's just like, you know, it's kind of like uh, Thanos from Avengers. He can snap his fingers and do whatever he wants. It's that kind of power. And that was always kind of, I thought, a really scary thing to think about when I thought about the concept and the devil's advocate. And then as for Brundlefly, I've seen this movie so many times. And I saw it when I was really young. And I shouldn't have seen it when I was really young. 
1986. I wasn't I wasn't uh, five when I saw it. I didn't see it in 1986, but I did see it within the 80s and early 90s. And um, it did a um, again. This I thought this is probably the grossest horror film, one of the most disgusting films I had seen at the time. And you just see this decline. And and again, this doesn't fall under uh, some of the criteria that you guys have laid out because Brundle Fly was not. He just went crazy because of of what had happened to him through this through what was going to be a remarkable scientific innovation but it, it, it turns out his machine did a lot more than just teleport and so which was also a, a nice innovation in and of itself when you really think about it but um but uh, the slow decline that he goes into and just the transformation they tried to do a sequel with uh with eric stolks but it didn't really work very well but i thought that jeff goldblum was so good in this film he really kind of stole the show in all of the scenes and you know just doing De jeff goldblum like things the practical effects of him climbing on the wall with an actual rotating set i love effects like that in films like this where you do have to have these these moments of manipulation where you're giving this really crazy effect and it just works so well on screen and again this film like i this is one of those films i was so young that it just freaked me out it, it freaked me out i was like this is gross like god what if that happened to me I, this is horrible and then the the scene when she has the nightmare of giving birth to a fly i was like like, oh my god this is disgusting that's the worst that scene is <laughs> the worst. so it's disturbing so yes it is. i can't stand that scene it freaks me out really bad <laughs> yeah. like to this day I, it gives me like the willies like every time i see whenever it. it comes up there's still a part of me that gets a little bit of anxiety because i know that i was like oh this oh, scene is god, so uncomfortable <laughs> i also think body transformation horror is rough that's how you know it did its job yeah and, and i think body transformation horror is it because it's generally almost every single one of those films is the protagonist slowly descending into whatever horrible thing is taking over their body slowly but surely and body transformation horror it's it's kind of it's one person's journey into darkness and it's like it's a 90 minute slow slow ride that really it's just so intense i think because it's kind of oftentimes the protagonist against themselves or, or, or trying to prevent something that is inevitable as they transform into whatever they're turning into and I think there's a unique there's a unique kind of terror to a body transformation horror film yeah good stuff and Cronenberg who did the fly is just kind of the master of those kinds of movies you know uh not just that one you know Videodrome is another great example of, of sort of that yeah um but you know he he uh his his body horror stuff is is he's sort of the king of body horror to me and um, yeah <laughs> and the fly is one of those movies where I I watched it um, my my dad loved it and he bought it VHS back in the day and I would hear things about it and I was like okay I'm gonna try and watch the fly so I watched it I would I would get to like. You know, I get to the point where like the monkey turns inside out. It's like, I'm out, you know, <laughs> and then, then I would get to eventually I get to the part where, you know, he he uh, he like breaks the guy's arm while they're arm wrestling. It's like, uh, I'm done. You know, it, it, it would just it would be that sort of thing until finally I saw the whole thing. But man, it took me a while. I was pretty young at the time, but, you know, it was just like it was a process. <laughs> it's intense. Yeah, it it's really intense. It's it's a really wonderful uh, it's a really wonderful remake of the original Fly, which was, you know, by today's standards, is kind of silly, a little silly looking and, kind, you know, kind of goofy. This version was really, really good. Yeah, the, the, the 80s version is 
yeah, it's it's man, it's it's up there. So Brian, what about you? Break down your uh, your bottom four for us. Okay, so um, I started off uh, now eleven jogged back and forth, which with one that I had to decide. I had to decide, so one ended up in my honorable mentions. But uh, so death from Final Destination. I watched these uh, all uh, one each day last week, and I thought, you know, death is really not just in this movie just a force, you know. He really kind of digs what he's doing. You know, he likes to, he, you know, and just this idea of sort of these Rube Goldberg machines that, um, (laughs) you know, of these ordinary objects that result in these people getting wiped out is, um, it's, they're, they're so dark, but at the same time, they're so funny. I mean, these, these movies are hilarious to me in a lot of ways, you know, and, and my, (laughs) and, and, and it's, it's sort of like that, that, that line where, you know, humor and horror can be so close to each other sometimes where they're just like, they're setting up a good joke and then there's the punchline. And that's, uh, I think the way, um, death works. And, and those movies are essentially, um, they're traditional slasher movies that came out post screen. And there weren't a lot of those, a lot of everyone was like, oh, I'm get, we're going to be clever and we're going to do this. But you know, they all ended up kind of followed a, a simple old fashioned style slasher formula. And, um, I don't know, they work for me. Um, I, the movies work and I think death is a, is a very entertaining villain. The first, the first one came out when I was in college. And so I, and I played, when I was playing football and the scene where she gets hit by the bus yeah. is better than any football hit I've ever seen. <laughs> and we would watch that. We had, we like, I, I don't know if it was Napster or whatever 2000 version. It might've been, I, I don't know if we got it from Napster or we just got a pirated version, but we were, we rewatched that bus hit so many times and either it was either two or three I saw in the theater and, I mean, just like you were saying, and with laughing about it, like how funny it is, like that when the death scenes would happen, I'd be like jumping up in my seat and cheering. It's like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> when that dude got sliced into three pieces by the, right. bar, by the barbed wire fence, I was like, that's what I'm talking about, you know. Um, or the woman that got hit by the, um, what was it, the uh, Jaws of Death um, or whatever it's called, that she was in her truck. Right. Yes. <laughs> and it, like those those scenes were just like these. This is amazing. I love this film. I love They're this so franchise. The they can just keep going forever. What's your Brian? What's your favorite death of all the movies? Having seen every film, I don't think I've seen every film. What's your favorite death? Well, I know which one my son would pick. It was the exploding barbecue at the end of oh, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just thought that was hilarious. Now he's just like everything is that, it is exploding barbecue. Yeah, per, that's a perfect ending for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a that's a you know uh, man I I should have I should have rated the, the, the those scenes I tell you <laughs> that um, have to be your next article rating yeah maybe maybe deaths. you know um, maybe it's because maybe it's it's a little bit sentimental because it was my first big article for Dread Central which is a pretty you know I mean it's a pretty important website uh, I did this whole thing you know um, the horror guide to gym safety. And so there's a sequence, <laughs> there's a sequence in, 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 uh, in 
three where these two girls end up baking to death inside of uh inside of tanning booths and so that's that's i guess i have to go with that one that's a good so, one. And, and the other one that that i cited in that article is there's a guy who's working on a, he's on a he's on a like a peck deck workout machine and 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 he's like i made it i cheated death and then they the weights come down and smash his head <laughs> it's just that. like i said they're, they're sort of like those punchline kinds of things you know and and i i kind of i i really kind of dig that about those movies that you know that's awesome you know they're <laughs> you almost it, yeah I, you got you gotta love what else could i say you gotta love a horror film where you're rooting for the deaths you know well the, and that's yeah <laughs> and, and you know that's that's nothing new i mean by the by the you know the fifth you know the fourth jason movie you're kind of rooting more for jason than you are for the teenagers but you know it's it's uh it's it's that kind of that kind of thing where where you know it's it's i don't know there's there's it's just a lot of fun those are just fun movies uh, that have probably the bleakest endings of any horror movies ever. <laughs> They're all they all end on a down note. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> um, the next ones. Uh, this is my vampire tie. Okay. So Bill Paxton as Severin in Near Dark. Uh, you talked about uh, uh, horror westerns. Uh, this is sort of a modern horror western, um, and it's filled with uh with is you got La lance henriksen as jesse the leader of the of this sort of band of vampires um this this movie i don't do you guys are you guys at all familiar with, with near dark I I've, seen I've never seen that one. Oh man uh so it came out the same year as the lost boys so it kind of got overshadowed by it it's directed by uh catherine bigelow uh who did of course point break uh, okay. And uh, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, those movies. Okay, uh, The Hurt Locker. So uh, terrific movie. It has basically half the cast of Alien, of Aliens. Uh, you know, it as sounded these vampires. like it. Yeah, yeah. And and so, um, but Bill Paxton is vicious and memorable. There's this sequence where they walk into this little sort of dive bar in the middle of nowhere and just you know want to stir stir shit up you know sorry i hope i can no by all <laughs> means okay <laughs> um and and you know it is it's a brutal scene you know he ends up slicing the bartender's neck with the spurs on his boots and uh, i mean it, it's it's um but the thing is i mean just the like i said it's earlier it's sort of that that he loves being a vampire it is the coolest thing hey you get to live forever and you get to kill people what could be cooler than that i've you always know? loved the and, immortality of vampires <laughs> yeah and you know frank you know bill paxton uh he did some good roles you know but i think this is my favorite of his ever so i think it's 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 that good and also uh willem dafoe as uh Max Shrek in Shadow of the Vampire. Um, this is this is sort of a small movie uh, that I, he actually got nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, and but it's it's a terrific film. It's a it's a fictionalized account of the making of the classic uh, 1922 German film Nosferatu. 
except the idea behind it is that what if the director of the film actually hired a, a real vampire to play the role? And, and that's, and that's Willem Dafoe in this role. And I, I, I watched it again, um, not that long ago. And it is with the exception of maybe what we do in the shadows, the funniest vampire movie ever. Uh, unfortunately it's, it's not really widely available anymore, but, if if you can if you can seek it out, uh, I highly recommend seeking out uh, Shadow of a Vampire for uh, amazing performances from John Malkovich uh, and from Willem Dafoe um, and and Carrie Elways and all sorts of people. It's a great film. Um, really encourage everyone. This, okay, now the next two. These are the ones that could get me in trouble. Uh, number nine, uh, Michael Myers uh, from the. One of my favorite movies, Halloween, I think it's an almost perfect film in many ways. It, it is still effective and creepy and scary. Uh, it's practically bloodless, uh, which I think is kind of one of the cool things about it. You know, it, it was imitated endlessly, but and Michael Myers is imitated endlessly. Um, but, um, and... And I would argue that Michael is more than just the shark in Jaws. He 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 really does kind of get into the spirit of things, <laughs> you know. Uh, going back to my enjoying the enjoying the hunt kind of thing, um, you know. He, there's the sequence where he puts all the bodies and hangs them up in different places for them to pop out on, on uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, things like that. Uh, then in the most recent Halloween movie, um, there's a sequence where he's just like a kid in the candy store going around just um, doing his thing. Um, so uh, Michael Myers is, it, it was, I was surprised Michael Myers came out that low on the list for me. I'll admit. I'm surprised because, too. <laughs> because I really do love uh, Halloween, but I think that um, the, the characters, the character, uh, the characters that I listed above um, have a lot of personality, and Michael, uh, he has, in my opinion, has more personality than Jason, but he's still a blank slate, you know. But kind of by design. Um, that's exactly exactly, and and that's the way it was supposed to be, and 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 that's that idea of pure evil and it's um and i mean i could talk about halloween forever um okay number eight was uh charles lee ray uh, or chucky um and i think the reason why chucky is chucky's kind of a one of those things that um i came to really late i i didn't i hadn't watched a single child's play movie until this year um and because I just thought the idea was so stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I thought I thought this whole idea of the idea of okay, you know, that's kind of the my point, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you know, my buddy, you know, <laughs> coming out with a knife and killing people. Just I just thought that's just so corny. I mean, how could this possibly work? Well, the fact is, for the at least the first couple of movies, it really does. <laughs> uh, I, I think one and two are uh, have quickly become uh, two of my 
favorite franchise horror movies ever. I mean, they're really well done, especially two. I think Child's Play two is an incredibly smart movie, um, in in a in an interesting way. And Brad Dourif is uh, so good, primarily only as the voice of Chucky. Um, but he's so memorable uh, in in that in that role. So. Um, you know, and and I also have to give props to Mark Hamill uh, doing doing the voice in the remake, which was better than I expected it to be. If you were going to so. get one voice to possibly step into the ring with Brad Dorif, Mark Hamill's probably the only guy I can think of that would have a chance. And I thought Absolutely. he did pretty damn no good. Like his voice, I'm like. That is a good. That's a good version of your Chucky. I I, I yeah. dug it. I was like, and that's like that's like the only guy. It's the only guy you could possibly bring in there that could that could hang with him. Yeah. Well, and his it's, his it's his Joker, right? That's one of the best voice. Like, yeah. So I mean, that people that connect Mark Hamill to Star Wars for all the obvious reasons. It's like there's a whole group of people that don't know he's actually got something else that's pretty epic. Yeah, he's often ranked like anytime you see any Joker performance list ranked, he's man, I can't tell you how many times he's either like right next to Heath Ledger or sometimes even surpassing Heath Ledger as the number one Joker performance ever. That's pretty common on a lot of lists. What about you, Rudy? All right, so, so de- I, defend the indefensible. Yeah, the indefensible. <laughs> starting with Leatherface and the Sawyer family, I'm gonna go right off the bat and say I don't like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise or the Friday the Thirteenth Mask uh, franchise. I don't like either of them. And in fact, this is the first time I've ever put characters on my list that like I was like I don't really like these franchises and I don't really like these characters. And they're going to be on my list. Like that's never happened. I've never done that. But I, you can't have a top eleven, like horror film list that doesn't include, you know, those two iconic characters, right? Like so, I kind of put them on the bottom of my list just to kind of get them out of the way. I actually think that the <laughs> Sawyer family is a lot more interesting than Leatherface, and all the really good performances often come from the actors who are playing the Sawyer family. So I thought I can't have. I can't. I didn't want. I do. They. I was for damn sure not going to let Texas Chainsaw Massacre take up two spots on my list. So I put them as as a as a as a tie. I I don't know, man. Like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre just has never spoken to me. And I've seen. I've seen. A, I probably my favorite. Honestly, my favorite performance of all of them is uh, Matthew McConaughey. I think he's my favorite Sawyer <laughs> in family. Next Generation. Yeah. yeah, Next Generation. I yeah. think it's the best the best performance of any like he's the one guy in that in an otherwise kind of mediocre slasher film that like he's really going for it and you're like this guy's got potential to be a big actor one day cuz he's really good in the movie. He's actually really good in that movie. I I really enjoy him. He's going balls to the wall. It's like uh he's treating it like Shakespearean text and I appreciate that. Yeah, I could, um, I could never get into that franchise either. I actually yeah, enjoyed I, the remake of The Hills Have Eyes more than this this that particular series. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't speak to me and I I can already hear every horror nut going the bottom level was Leatherface, that's where you that's where you start and I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel like a lot of people similar to you Brian, I think everyone just goes, okay, well, it's got to be Michael Myers, Leatherface, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger in some sort of order at the top, and then everyone else comes down after them. And I didn't want to do I, that. <laughs> and I like that for all of us. We've already begun. It's not, it has not begun that way. Uh, number 10, uh, for what you said, Brian, about Jason Voorhees, I think he's kind of has the least personality. I, 
there are. Fr- I think some of the earlier Friday the Thirteenth films are far more effective than the later films, as far as being actually scary films. They definitely are a little bit more about the spectacle and the over the top death. I don't. I'm not the biggest fan of the uh, of the song. I think the song is is really repetitive and boring. I I think when it comes to iconic, which you could do a whole different podcast on, uh, iconic horror film themes i think nothing is more terrifying than the halloween theme song it's it is and it it's played to such there's so many there's so many there's like five different parts of that song that they use at five different times and they're all equally as scary i mean you can you can literally chop that sucker up and the, the i don't know how carpenter did it you know but the way he the way he created that song there's literally five different parts of it and they use it you know they use all different ones all the time and they're all equally as terrifying but uh Voorhees to me, I think, lacks the least of amount of imagination. But having said that, I like him more than Leatherface. I do think he looks cooler. Like I like his I like his hockey mask, you know, the looks iconic. Friday the thirteenth kinda to me has always been kind of a poor man's Halloween, but it's impossible to not like I can't not acknowledge the fact that it has lasted for so long. And Jason Voorhees, for so many horror fans, is the GOAT. You know, like he, I, I, he's, you know, he's very, very popular and beloved by many people. So I put him at number 10. At number nine, uh, we're almost at a tie here, Brian, you and I, uh, Chucky by Brad Dorff. Uh, not a whole lot I can say beyond what you've already said. He is similar to Freddy Krueger, I think, in that he's hilarious, and part of the charm of the character is his humor. And that's very rare in horror films is that, you know, is that a horror monster and villain is actually uh, scary. I mean, actually funny. And he's very funny. And I think that's one of the things I really like about Chucky. And Ghostface, uh, I love Ghostface. The thing about Ghostface, the reason I don't Surprised rank Ghostface. Surprised you, cho- you chose that one. Uh, that one caught me off guard. I, I love I, I love the Scream franchise. I'm a big, big fan. It's very meta. I think it's one of Wes Craven's, uh, one of his most interesting um, creations. And the creation, there, his creation of Scream set off a whole new genre of horror film. You know, a, a, quarter, a kind of meta commentary on horror film, a very fourth wall breaking style of horror film that he really started all that. And even, you know, there's even, even a uh, Halloween uh, resurrection was totally a ripoff of, of that, of that exact style. And, um, I, but the thing, the reason Ghostface doesn't rank higher is because Ghostface, every film is, is being the legend, the characters being, uh, used by another group of of characters, you know. Every single ghost, fa- uh, every single scream is a whodunit, you know, in there as well. Which is also a unique uh, thing about Scream. It's not only a meta commentary and horror film, but they're also whodunits, and they're kind of constantly become more and more whodunits as the series goes on. But the uh, but the if the if Ghostface was only ever played by one person, I would have ranked him higher. But um, I I like what the Scream franchise represents, and Ghostface is obviously iconic. Uh, the mask is fantastic. I find that mask pretty scary, even though it's kind of silly looking. But there's something about its silliness that makes it really scary. And I, I really enjoy uh, Ghostface. And they definitely, I would say from uh, after 10 and 11, I, I, I love all the characters coming next. <laughs> I just had to get rid of those guys. Candlestick Will, what's your, what's your list, buddy? So, um, yeah, most of my films are older films, um, you know, kind of classic. I started with um, Betty, uh, Betty Davis is Betty, Baby Jane Hudson and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Um, 
for classic films, Betty Davis is one of the best actresses, period. But her ability to scare the shit out of people with her, you know, with her evil eyes when she's playing a villain um, is about as intense and, and incredible as I've ever seen. Um, and just something about her in that, in that film, um, you know, it wasn't the only film she ever did that where she kind of played someone that scared the crap out of you. But, um, but that one in particular, she just, um, it was one of the first, uh, films from, from, uh, from the forties, fifties, sixties, that area where I'm watching and I'm like, Oh, this is not anything like I expected it to be. Like I was expecting it to just be an, an, a drama and it turns into this kind of horror thriller, you know, film. And that really interested me just because it was not kind of like what you were saying, Ray, about some of the other films that you have on your list, that when a movie just completely is unexpected and just completely throws what your expectations are, it change, you know, it changes your interpretation of it forever because you didn't know what you were going to see. Um, and I think that's what really nailed it for me with that, with that film. Uh, for number 10, I have Alex Forrest from Fatal Attraction. Um, it's, it's one of the scariest concepts ever. Um, in a film, uh, regardless of horror or thriller or however you want to rank or, or however you want to um, describe what fatal attraction is, but when you have someone who you end up having you know an affair with and then they become obsessed with you, like just the fear of them of what they'll do or what they can do or how they might hurt you or if they're going to hurt you or, or how they're going to hurt you because you now know they're just coming after you, just that that the re, the 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 real fear that that would instill in someone of someone who knows me intimately, someone who, you know, is, knows where I live and knows where my fam, knows, you know, what my family is. Now they're going to go after me. The, the, the personal uh, part of that, I think actually adds so much more uh, fear than if it was just a, a slasher film that where someone was out there killing everyone, you know, it wouldn't have that same personal uh, feeling, but the feeling that Michael Douglas is feeling in that film, the whole second half of the film is just like as scary as it can get for a character in my opinion. So, and uh, when you have someone like Glenn Close, who's one of the greatest actresses we've ever had um, playing that role, then it, it takes it to that next level. Um, Clockwork Orange is a scary ass film, scary ass premise. Um, uh, uh, the, the character Alex is just, diabolical and how just evil he is and how much joy he gets out of being evil, you know, early in the film. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, Kubrick fan, but that film is hard. It's, it's impossible not to just uh, get you completely hooked when you're, as you're watching it. It's a film I have a really hard time ever watching again or even recommending because it's just so disturbing. Um, but at the same time, if I'm talking about who are the scariest people I've ever seen on film that guy is as scary because he just did not give a damn and he just was out to hurt people out to make them feel pain and suffer and he was getting joy out of it so Brian kind of what you were saying about kind of who you rationalized being on the top of your list that's kind of the impression I got from that film was that that was a character designed to just be evil on purpose and um, and obviously the acting is, is superb because the actor is superb. And, um, and when you, and you know, one of the things about my list is that it's some of the best actors I've ever seen on film, kind of to your point, Raymond, uh, or Ray about, uh, Al Pacino, 
It's like when you get a, you know, a top-notch actor, when you get a Willem Dafoe or a Bill Paxton, when you get someone who's already a good actor to place a villain, it just adds so much depth. And we've, we've seen that from our previous list with Alan Rickman's and uh, Anthony Hopkins and, and uh, some of the other guys, Heath Ledger's and some of the other uh, legends that we've seen in, in these films um, and these lists we've had before. And then my last one, you know, speaking of uh, elite actors, um, Jack Nicholson is Jack Torrance from The Shining. Um, just seeing a person completely fall apart and go from what seems like a normal human being to just a complete psychopath over the course of a film. You know, you guys were mentioning before with The Fly about like how body transformation films work. I mean, to me, just the psychological destruction of Jack Torrance's brain <laughs> from this guy who seemed like a normal human being to just completely go to the extreme of, you know, psychotic from what initially didn't seem like it would like anything was that big a deal. You're just hanging out in a place that, <laughs> that doesn't have anything going on. It's like, it should seem relaxing, but then we live in a world now where we've all been in, in our homes for a few months and it's like, well, now I can maybe understand it a little bit better, <laughs> you know, because it's like when you're stuck in a place and you don't get to do anything and you get doing the same thing all day as every day looks the same, you know, you can understand someone suddenly writing on their on their typewriter the same sentence over and over again. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> it, it could suddenly happen. And um, but you know, to see that ex- extreme and, and one of the things um, with uh, with with uh, with Kubrick and, and with, with some of the, the the people that have made that are making these you know, classic films is that they they know how to make the film look and and feel so much better than they would have if it's if it was a different director or if it was a different actor um it it really does capture when you have jack nicholson doing this or when you have you know glenn close doing this some of these elite actors that what they can bring to this to the the screen is so much more uh scary and so much more effective um and the shining obviously is is renowned as far as a film in general but for me it it ranks up there with any horror film because of just how frightening that transformation was from jack nicholson all right so uh ray give us your seven through four all right here we go and you know even though stephen king does not like the shining there's no denying that it's an excellent well-made film Uh, i enjoyed it when i saw it oh even king admits it's a well-made film i mean he just doesn't think it has any and he calls it a Cadillac, a beautifully restored Cadillac without any engine. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes a lot of guts, but if you're Stephen King, you're like the he one. Can, one he can. Well, he wrote the source material. He can say what he wants. Yeah, so he can. It, you he know, and I, and I and I and quite frankly, I love both iterations. I love the novel um, dearly. I, it was one of the first books I really fell in love with. But that movie is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's an amazing film. Oh yeah. Definitely one that falls in the masterpiece category of filmmaking. Well, I mean, it's tagline, a masterpiece of modern horror. I mean, and that just sums it up. Because yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely. All right, Ray, what do you got? All right. Seven through four. Number seven, I've got uh, Dracula. Um, this is my vampire. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992. I've got Jaws, uh, the first two. And at number five, oh no, uh, f- seven through four, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. five. Yeah, number five, five is uh, Pennywise from It, the uh, the 2017 remake. And at number four, I've got Chucky, um, the the part part one Chucky. <clears throat> All right, Brian, what about you? 
Okay, so um, I have my family category at number seven. So I did a three-way tie because I'm cheating. Okay, so the Sawyer family. There's no cheating. There's no cheating. That's good. Okay, so uh, that is the Sawyer family uh, from Texas Chainsaw, uh, Pluto's clan from the Hills Have Eyes, and the Firefly family from uh, Rob Zombie's uh, Firefly trilogy. Uh, number six, Julia Cotton from Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> number five, Reverend Kane from Poltergeist 2. And number four, going way back, Dr. Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, nice. Wow. Oh, Very nice. That's awesome. All right, Rudy, what do you got? All right, so... At number seven, Ray, you and I came close to a tie here. Jaws from the Jaws franchise. That's my number seven. At number six, Norman Bates from the Psycho franchise, as played by Anthony Perkins. Number five, this might be controversial to some people, Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And then at number four, It. Uh, the uh, Pennywise the Clown, but I have a tie as well. I have Bill Skarsgård and Tim Curry as a two-way tie. I put both guys together equally as terrifying, and I'll talk about that when we get to that section, but that is my number four. It as played by Bill Skarsgård and Tim Curry. All right, so at number seven, I got Max Cady from Cape Fear. Very good. Very good. At number six, I've got the Body Snatchers from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. At number five, I've got the shark from Jaws. And at number four, I'm saying this is a horror film, and since Stephen King wrote it, I'm going to say that works. The Warden from Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) (laughs) He is considered a master of horror. And most of his books are supernatural or horror or a blending of the two. <laughs> when I when I went through all my lists, I realized I hadn't included Warden and in, Warden from Shawshank and anything else. So I was like, I, I, I'm I'm throwing I'm throwing him on my horror. All right, all right, Ray, break it down for us. All right, Dracula, Bram Stoker's. This was one of the first vampire films that I was exposed to. I mean, there's a litany of vampire films that I love in addition to Bram Stoker's, but I think what really stole it for me was. Um, this was my first introduction one I probably my first introduction into Gary Oldman and then I would follow his work very closely afterwards and he's just one of my favorite character actors of all time Um, and this is actually our Rudy this is our father's uh, favorite um, Dracula portrayal of all time Um, Dracula this was another and another Keanu Reeves film where he's involved in in the horror film as uh, one of the protagonists and um, this, I, I just loved um, the creepiness of him, the, the just the, the mannerisms. I mean, you can't even tell it's Gary Oldman. I mean, the, the, the voice, everything is just, he just really, like he does with all his characters, he just really just embodies the persona of what that character is supposed to be. And, you know, this film, you know, is very dark. It's kind of gothic-y, you know, it's... Uh, it's uh, just it's it's not like scary, but it's it's like it's got this methodical scare to it. It's not in your face jump horror scare. It's just like it's got these 
you know, Dracula is this big, huge, powerful being that, you know, is, is battling this, this part of himself, the, the, the natural, the, the, the primal side of himself with the emotional human, human side of himself. It's a great, uh, there's this great struggle that Dracula's character goes through himself, but then also has to, has to feed. He's got to eat. Boy's got to eat. So uh, I, I just love that that challenge that he's faced with in that film. And Gary Oldman just kills it in this movie for me. So I, I had to put him up there because this is one of my favorite vampire films of all time. There's some other vampire films I left off the list that I struggled with a little bit. But when I compared them to, to these films, I really couldn't put Bram Stoker's back on the list. I had to have if I had, a, you know, a vampire representation, I was like, all right, it's got to be Bram Stoker's. I can't think of a better vampire film that really tops it for me um, for Jaws. What's scarier than a great white shark that eats people? You know, this this is a, a, a top. I'm always impressed with predators at the top of the food chain, like lions, gorillas, these these uh, these mammals. And or in this case, it's not a, a Jaws is or Jaws is a amphibian. This isn't an animal podcast. We'll figure it no, out. It's <laughs> you got to go to you got to go to Animal Planet. Um, all things all things correctly categorized over there. But uh, but Jaws just you know again is a film that just it's classic it's scary you know I've I didn't have a fear from sharks until this film I think everyone's fear of sharks when they do encounter one whether it's through the news or if they're actually in the ocean heaven forbid you know this this is a film that everyone can relate to like oh god this really just it gave great white sharks a bad rap it really did because they honestly don't feed on humans they they will nibble on you if they're close but the second they get that taste they usually back off um but this this particular great right just didn't give a shit and it was and i i watch a lot of the job i love the first two the most but there are a couple of later ones that i enjoy let you know uh, you know i i I don't like seeing some of these characters die uh in in a lot of these films especially the little boy gosh that was so sad but um this uh Again, the film, the way it's shot, um, the the whole sequence of building up between you know uh, Richard Dreyfuss and and I, I forget the other two actors' names. I think they both passed away. But um, yeah, Roy, Roy, yeah, Robert Shaw, yeah, and Roy Scheider. Yeah, they um, the, the whole scene in the boat when they're tracking him down towards the end, and he and he's going through the whole story of, of when he was in the navy and when they, their ship went down and they got attacked by sharks, and it's just like that 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 whole monologue is just a, an, a one of, probably my favorite scene of the film, next to the scene of him dying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the best scene in the movie. Yeah, uh, with. Uh, in a scene in a movie full of good scenes, you know, <laughs> of great scenes, you know? Yeah. I'd probably say yeah. that and him dying are my two favorite scenes of the film. Um, Pennywise, again, this is another film. Um, I don't, I didn't remember the Tim Curry one very well. I just know that it was very freaky, but I decided to watch this one cause everyone raved about it. And, um, they, the both, the second one came out, which I still haven't finished that one, but, um, I decided to watch it and I watched it. I watched this recently. This I watched within the last five years. Obviously it came out three years ago. But um, um, again, I just thought like this is just ridiculously freaky. Like this is wave this. I mean, it follows is a really creepy, freaky film. But like Pennywise is just so creepy in this film. I've I don't recall the last horror film I saw where I was just so creeped out by a character. And these kid these kid actors were amazing. They were so awesome. You know, it's like it was such a, a 
fantastic cast again shot well the cg stuff i thought you know like you could tell when it was cg but it still worked for what the scene was trying to accomplish for the most part so i really liked enjoyed all of it and then all of the weird the stuff where pennywise is interjected in these subtle moments in addition to when he's in your face uh moments i thought all of that stuff was amazing and so I'm really excited about the second film. I can't wait to get through it. And then Chucky, um, uh, Brian, uh, to a lot of points you made, um, I didn't necessarily think the concept was stupid because I saw it when I was really young, so I didn't know. Um, but when I saw the first film, the whole, I was young when I saw this film. So the, the whole concept of, because I had a lot of dolls, like stuffed animals and stuff like that. So the, th the thought that one of them, because I loved all my stuffed animals and they were all like, you know, I, I did have a, a mind that like the kid, like Andy, you know, kind of put a little personality into your dolls that you owned. I did that with my GI Joes, all of those characters. So the fact that one of them could come alive and turn on me and kill me like that was just freaky and and they did it the first film i thought was like the darkest of, of the of the group in my opinion and there's just so many scenes like where it's just like you get these these the the, the cinematography they use to give you the perspective of chucky and uh, a lot of time like he doesn't really even get loud until like later in the film when you really start to get a lot more dialogue into the movie because a lot of times they do these subtle shots you know the off-screen kills or you only see an arm or you see feet uh pitter-pattering across the screen all that stuff is great it builds tension it just freaked me out again i was really young when i saw the film and i thought it was great and i'm actually really excited to see the new one because i knew mark hamill was doing the voice and i was like wow that is an amazing choice um i know some fans are going to be disappointed you know at, at the decision but uh, you can't help but, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see it just for that alone, let alone to see what they did with the film, because I did hear a lot of good things about it. So I'm curious to see how it all um, plays out. What about you, Brian? Yeah, OK. So uh, I. Um, so this is my three way tie. Uh, start with the Sawyer family from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I think Leatherface is is the icon is the icon of the film but the other the other members of the sawyer clan are so much more interesting for the most part i i, I mean um and i'm not a huge fan of the franchise but i love the first movie the original toby hooper movie is i think um with with one exception uh, the the acting of of uh, the character of Franklin just sort of makes everyone crazy. But um, the movie as a whole is just a gut punch. Uh, I still find it difficult to watch um, now that it's. I mean, it's it's forty five years old, but it still has this um, this real visceral reaction that comes in me when I watch that movie. Um, and I'm really talking about the Sawyer family as they appear in the original. I don't like the remake uh, personally um, or really the sequels that came which out. Which remake? <laughs> right, right, exactly. I was like, wait, which exactly. remake? There's been well, so many. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Alexander Aja one um, that came out, oh gosh, when was that? 2003, I want to say. Um, it has some good things. I mean, it's got Arlie Ermy, you know, playing, uh, doing, doing, you know, his scenery chewing, uh, fun thing. But 
on the whole, uh, the the original is is the only one that really disturbs me and really gets to me. I mean that that scene where they put the hammer in Grandpa's hand, you know, and and he's just sort of dropping it on her head over and over again, and they, I mean, it's just so that whole dinner sequence is just like, uh, and that's like a big is, is, theme throughout the rest of the subsequent films. Well, they, they try they try and remake <laughs> it. They try they try and remake it in every movie, and and it just. Never, because they actually were trapped in this room for days, and in, 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 or or no, that's that's the one where they filmed it 24 hours straight in the stifling heat in Texas summer, you know, and and that the bones and the stuff in there was real. There really was a dead chicken in there. There really was all this stuff in there. The just the and you can. It's it's one of the few films I've ever seen where you can almost smell it because mm. it's just it's just it's just so grimy and gross and you know now did you know that context when you were watching it? Um, the first time I'm not sure I don't think I did the first time but I mean it's it's but you still even not I mean it was it's it's pretty it's grimy intense and. It's a grimy, it's a grimy, grimy movie, you know. And then uh, I, I I linked it to Pluto's Clan from the original Hills Have Eyes, Wes Craven's film, um, because part of it is, I mean, they they use the same set designer, <laughs> so you had you have uh, sort of this this um, relationship between the two films. But I think Pluto's Clan is really interesting, um, you know. They're just kind of out here in the middle of nowhere and um this is the most brutal i think it's probably more brutal of a of a family clan kind of thing um and i i i want to make an exception because i haven't and they're probably going to revoke my horror card for this but i haven't seen bone bone tomahawk um but as far as a brutal family group of monsters go. I can't think of one that is more frightening than, than Pluto's clan from the Hills of eyes. They're up there for sure. I enjoyed the remake too. The remake is good. Uh, that that's, and that was, and I think was, was it Alexander Aja that made that one too? Cause I mean, it was, did the remake of Texas chainsaw. Then he did the remake of, of, uh, of, uh, I, I mean, I could, I, I've got her over here somewhere, but, um, who then did the remake of, of the Hills have eyes. I think it is, but, um, yes, you're right. Okay. So, um, so you have sort of that weird link between those two movies. I think they're sort of eternally linked. Um, then, but in the original, you know, you have Michael Berryman, uh, playing, um, uh, no, it was, I, I, I've been calling it Pluto's clan. It's actually Jupiter's clan. I'm sorry. I wrote it down wrong. It's Jupiter's clan, and and Michael Berryman plays uh, plays Pluto, and you you would definitely recognize Michael Berryman if you if you don't know his name. Um, he's uh, he's a he's a very interesting looking guy. Uh, it's supposed to be one of the nicest human beings on the planet, but he plays an absolutely frightening, brutal killer in this movie. Um, and then I then the third one I put there is uh, the Firefly uh, clan from from. Uh, Rob Zombie's um, Firefly trilogy, which is uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, The Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell. Um, 
played by Sid Haig, uh, Bill Mosley, and Sherry Moon Zombie, primarily. There are some others, but those are the main three. Um, and I again, they're part of that same lineage from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And and so, um, and I think I think The Devil's Rejects is the best of those three films, um, but just that that brutality and that's really frightening stuff that goes on and the fact that they sure do love doing what they do um anyway moving on uh julia cotton from hellraiser and hellraiser 2 uh she's the real villain of the films uh it is not pinhead uh in my opinion pinhead is barely in the first one Barely yeah, pinheaded barely is in the first one, mm-hmm. and uh, it's you know, and I think I think she is actually probably more intense of a villain than even Uncle Frank, you know, because she she's uh, she's going out and she's finding these guys and she's seducing them and she's uh, she's saying, hey, uh, let's uh, <laughs> she's trying to resurrect her 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 old lover, you know, by killing these guys and having them bleed all over the floor. So you know, that's a lot of fun. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and, uh, Claire Higgins, who, uh, who plays Julia in, in those movies is, is so good and she is so frightening and, um, she, I think deserves, and there, there are only a few, there are a handful of, of, uh, of female horror villains. And, uh, I think she's one of the truly great ones um number five uh was uh reverend kane uh from poltergeist 2 uh played by julian beck uh it's the only film he played uh the that role in he passed away before uh the making of poltergeist 3 <clears throat> he may have even passed away before poltergeist 2 was even released uh now that i recall but um to me as a this this one goes back to childhood because um, he has this big, huge, crazy smile and this, this sort of skull-like features, and he's wearing this black old suit and big hat, and it's like, uh, and his God is in his holy temple, and it's just this, this incredibly frightening image and there's this i mean <laughs> there's a gif on twitter if you look up poltergeist 2 where he's, he's like leaning up against a screen window and he's and he's got this grin on his face and it is horrifying and you know as the movie goes on you find out what um you know that he he led all of his flock all of his followers of this sort of religious cult he had started underground uh to basically all die and um he's he's sort of the embodiment of the of the ghosts that that haunt um you know the the family he he only appears uh really he he's technically in poltergeist three but uh the first time we really see uh reverend kane is in is in uh poltergeist two uh there's no um there's no reference to him in the first movie uh, at all. Uh, there's no personal villain in the first movie um, like there is in, in, in that one. And as a kid, that movie, Poltergeist 2, scared me more than just about any other movie I had. And it affected me for so deeply uh, 
that I didn't see it again for about 30 years. I've never seen the original Poltergeist after seeing it as a child because it was so, as Raymond said offline, it it has ruined clowns forever for me, and I've never seen the movie again. And I, 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 I've seen a million scenes, cut scenes, and I've seen all the homages, like, I'm pretty pretty familiar with the material, but yeah, I I haven't seen it in probably about 35 years. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where I was like, okay, and and the first movie I hadn't seen in quite a long time either, until really recently uh, again. But yeah, Reverend Kane uh, and uh, Poltergeist Two has this scene where Craig T. Nelson drinks a bottle of tequila and he swallows a worm and he gets possessed by Kane and. <laughs> And, and and then he throws up the the worm and it's just like and yeah that such and a, weird a weird scene and, and you know what that that uh, that put me off drinking you know for life pretty much I, I never had a problem probably because of Poltergeist too um, so anyway um, and there is tequila my... that has a worm in it isn't there yeah. I've I've had I've had tequila that had a, a little baby scorpion in it. Oh, from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> the poison uh, brings out the tart. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, not not my thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, then number four, uh, classic one, uh, Bride of Frankenstein is one of my favorite movies. Period. I I just adore it. I think it's wonderful and. Ernest Thesiger, or Thesiger as uh, Dr. Pretorius is one of the great sort of humorous villains. Uh, he's, 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 uh, he's complete. He's cause Dr. Frankenstein is not really a villain. The creature is not really a villain in either movie, really, in my opinion. Um, but Dr. Pretorius is very much a villain. I mean, he's he's almost a villain in in the old broad mustache swirling uh, kind of kind of sense of it, you know. But at the same time, he's just so well written and so well acted. And uh, and Bride of Frankenstein is one of the great original horror comedies, and. Um, and and Thesiger is so funny and memorable in that movie, and um, yeah, it, <laughs> not much more to say than that. Just just love that character. All right, so at number seven, Jaws from the Jaws franchise. Not a lot more that I can say that Raymond already said. A lot of people often list this as possibly Steven Spielberg's best film. Um, the John Williams soundtrack, that song. Uh, I, on a serious note, actually had a friend who was killed by a shark, and and uh, it's pretty horrific. And so I th- it's a horrific monster and a really well-made film, and I definitely wanted to include it. I, uh, you know, It's probably the only uh, pure creature that's on this one, on this list for me. Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins from the Psycho franchise, Norman Bates uh, often has been called the first slasher killer. Um, I have another, I have another character later on in this list uh, somewhere. I'm not going to say where uh, that I think actually 
holds that candle a little bit more. I think is a little bit more accurate. But uh, I, I would I I like to think of Norman Bates as the grandfather to the slasher killer to the to the classic slasher killer. I think there's a maybe the great grandfather. Then there's a grandfather. Then there's the daddy. That's how I think. That's how I'll rank these guys. He's like the great grandfather of slasher killers and just an amazing performance by Anthony Perkins. Uh, obviously, many consider that to be. Hitchcock's best, probably his most popular. I don't know if it's my favorite Hitchcock film, but I just think Anthony Perkins' psycho performance is fantastic. He's like genuinely really creepy all the time in this movie, and uh, he just kills it. He kills it. I, I had to put him there right in the middle. Number five, Freddy Krueger by Robert Englund. Uh, probably the funniest uh, slasher killer of all time. Probably the most ridiculous of all time. Uh, but... Especially in the first two films, he's pretty scary. That uh, the face, the 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 hat, the the sweater, that claw, that that crazy glove. I would say out of everybody, in um, with the exception of maybe Jason Voorhees' uh, hockey mask, uh, Leatherface's chainsaw, and I'd say Michael Myers' mask. Like that claw is so iconic, and it's it's original. Like. You've never seen a weapon like that. That it doesn't really exist outside of this one character who has it. It was pretty much invented for this one character, and uh, very I creative. Love, really creative. <laughs> like you I mean, like props. It's very Wolverine esque. You know, um, if anything, I'd say Wolverine stole it from him. But I think Wolverine actually is much much older than than Freddy Krueger. But the the uh, the creativity in the desk, the way that he gets you in your dreams, his back his backstory. All just make for a really interesting character, kind of to yes and you, Brian, about like uh, more interesting characters. Freddy Krueger, I think, is infinitely more interesting than, let's say, Leatherface and Jason Voorhees. He's just so uh, he's funny, he's terrifying, he has a lot of superpowers. His superpowers don't always really make sense. It's like the it, it's it only works in the dream world, but then but then he can be pulled out of the dream world, and sometimes it still works out of the dream world. It's a little confusing as to how his powers, how the dream state and the real state, real world work in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but a fantastic character and really, really iconic. And then It, uh, I, I remember him the opposite. I have really fond memories of the original series, and Tim Curry scared the shit out of me. It only furthered my hatred of clowns. Yeah, and then, <laughs> didn't do you any favors. I was going to say. Did not. And then there's one other movie on here that just... I think pushed it over the edge, and it was like I'm gone. I hate these things forever. Uh, but uh, definitely, uh, I, I I can't pick between the two. Tim Curry, Tim Curry is scary because he's having so much fun as a clown. There's something about the joy, uh, the joy he is experiencing in in taking like the horns and and being very clownish. Like he gets so much enjoyment from from using this persona to terrify people. That's what I really like about Tim Curry's Bill Skarsgård. It's like Jack Nicholson's Joker versus Heath Ledger's Joker, right? Like Bill Skarsgård is out to scare the piss out of you. And he's, he's kind of doing little clowny stuff here and there, but he's like, he is pure terror. 
And that's what I like about Spill Scar- Bill Skarsgård. And, you know, there's, you know, just as like Jack was having fun being a Joker and he was kind of clown-ish when he was doing his performance as the Joker. And then Ledger's just pure terror. I think it's a really similar concept between these two actors. I can't pick between the two. One scares the piss out of 12-year-old Rudy and then the other one scares the piss out of adult Rudy. And Raymond, you have to finish the second one. I saw it in the theater. I didn't think it was as well of as as good a movie, but the problem is if you read the books, if you read the book, most of the story takes place in the child in, when they're children. You know, they the movie the the beginning of part two is actually the beginning of the book in the original book, and the the childhood story, the adult story is kind of sprinkled in as 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 in between all these big flashbacks. So the child. The childhood section of it is always better because it's just so much more beefed up. There's so much more happening. And when you take them apart, as it seems to be the tradition, I'm sure in 25 years when we get a remake, they'll do it the exact same way again. And uh, But the I think the second one's pretty good still. Um, I saw it twice, and I actually liked it a lot more on the second time than I did the first time. Yeah, um, and the children first... in horror films is just way scarier than adults in horror films because the, the children are outmatched from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, the kids kill it. The kids really kill it. And um, But I thought the the adult cast that they put together for It Chapter 2, I mean, it is a murderer's row of actors, and they really, really do a good job. And it, I would say I would say I'd say watch it twice because I liked it. I was my expectations were so high. I thought that was the best horror film of 2017. So I was expecting it to be the best horror film when it came out. Uh, when it chapter two was, it wasn't. So I was a little disappointed. But then when I had some time away and I got to see it again and kind of appreciate it on its own merits and not in comparison to the to first film, I really enjoyed it. So I kind of think it chapter two is a movie you watch once, come back in a year. And watch it again, and you'll probably like it more then because I just was, I just expected it to be at the exact same level, and I don't think it was. But on its own merits, it's a pretty good movie, pretty damn good movie. I'm in the minority because I actually prefer It Chapter Two to It Chapter One. So, I mean, I, I know I don't hear a lot of people say that, but um, uh, there, are, there's just a handful of people that, me included, that just. I don't know. Something about the second one just really worked for me, and I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Maybe I don't know. Bill Hader doesn't hurt. <laughs> no, he's so good in that. I mean, and you know, I'm, I'm uh, kind of head over heels for Jessica Chastain, you know. So, um, but and my wife knows that she's, she's, <laughs> she's cool with it. <laughs> um, I think, I think everyone on the planet is though. Like men, yeah. men, men, women, children. She's amazing. It's amazing. The the. The Raymond, I will say that too. That that's actually, I'm glad you touched on that. If we're just talking about the film of it, the adult cast is so phenomenal. I mean, and they come in and they're just throwing dimes the whole time through. Like really, Ray, uh, I would, I, I think the adult, the adult cast is equally as good, if not arguably even better, because it's just such polished actors. Um, and in my opinion, uh, not working with as as uh, as good a script, but I, I, I'm I don't want to I don't want to give the impression, Brian, that I'm bashing because I absolutely no I I, I don't get two. that at all. Yeah, yeah. like it, but the fact that they're they're working with a little bit less material, but the acting of those guys elevates that script so much because and and yeah, Bill Hader he just destroys every scene he's in. He really I thought was the MVP of that movie, even over Bill Skarsgård as Bill Hader. He he kills it. But the whole movie Ray is great. You gotta you gotta finish it chapter two. It's good stuff. All right, Candlestick Will, what about you, buddy? So at number seven, I got Max Cady from Cape Fear. Um, 
really both films are just masterpieces. Robert De Niro might be the scarier version um, of of the two Max Cadys, but it's you know, it's a it's a again a lot a lot of the movies I have on my list. The concept itself is just really scary, and then you have uh, amazing actors portraying it, but someone that you've you've sent to prison and now they're out of prison and they're just going to obsess over you and attack you and go at your family and go at you and so it's very similar i think to fatal attraction that way where it's like as soon as you realize what their kind of goal is then it's just the every moment with that character is scary from the rest of the film and it becomes i think what most classic horror films are which is once you identify who the villain is now the whole rest of the movie. It's just the second they're on screen, it's it, you're already, you're already nervous. And the second they're on screen, you're already kind of scared. And, and I think uh, in, in both, in both versions of Cape fear, but um, specifically for this list, the Robert De Niro version is just one of the all time classic. It's uh, just scary characters. Just for, for me. Um, I I'll thought, say this counsel. Well, yeah, anybody willing to hide, strap themselves to the bottom of your car, while you travel 500 miles for like seven hours and 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 not not fall and kill themselves, anyone willing to risk their lives just to hurt you is someone you never want to fuck with ever. But I mean, that's the thing. I think the lengths that characters are willing to go to to cause pain of others is what makes a uh, incredible horror film plot. And to me, that's what makes Cape Fear absolutely a horror film, in my opinion. And Robert De Niro is such a great villain for for that. Um, for number six, I have the Body Snatchers from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Of all the classic horror films and the and, and the classic thrillers, it's maybe the scariest premise I've ever seen where it's just basically don't go to sleep because if you go to sleep, you'll die. And it, it just creates just a, a perfect fear because you can't, you can't not sleep. <laughs> So you you're ba- you have these characters who have like insomnia and they're like on you know they've been awake for two three straight days and they just basically have to give in to the to the villain that's these body snatchers. So to me, it's just the premise itself is just one of the greatest premises I've ever seen um, put on film, and uh, and both versions are really really good. Um, from from I was going to ask you, did you see the original too? Yeah, so the, the, the fifty six version is the one that I prefer, but the seventy eight version is really one is, is so good and very strong. And uh, and again, to me, I, and, and maybe it's just I'm a kind of a sucker for because I do love classic films that really do well, but that original one is just so good because it to me you just and 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 again I think everything's subjective, but. I felt fear for the characters from like the very beginning. Like as soon as they started to figure out kind of what was going on, it was like, Oh my God, this is, this is crazy. Like the second they've, you know, someone's fallen asleep the very next day, then now they're, they're hit. So now they, as soon as they realize that it's like, well now it's just a matter of time. And that ticking clock feeling is just as scary as it gets, I think. And so, yeah, it's one of my favorite, uh, favorite films in general, but, um, but yeah, and both, and again, it's always great. Same with Cape Fear, it's always great when a remake is e- equally as good or even better in some cases. Um, and uh, it just it's a good thing for genres when uh, when a film can be remade and both are really amazing. And you guys have pointed that out with some of your selections. Um, for number five, I've got the Shark from Jaws. Um, it's 
it's one of those things we've meant, you guys have mentioned it with some of the other films you've talked about, but when you don't show the character for most of the film and you just kind of hint at it, like the, the not knowing is always scarier. And, you know, we've, we've all heard the stories of how that wasn't necessarily the intention and it was only because they couldn't get a shark that worked and it ended up just making the movie so much better because they only showed the fin and they, you know, they just scared the shit out of you, you know, you know, all these different ways without having to actually show you the shark. And um, I think it really set up Spielberg for, you know, the, the T-Rex scene in Jurassic Park and, and just some of these other moments in his career where he's just was a, it was a masterclass and how you can get people to feel something without actually seeing anything. And, um, and Jaws is certainly, you know, as good as anything we've ever seen when it comes to something like that. Um, the whole film in itself is, is just perfect, but, um, but that shark is just as scary as it gets uh, to me. And then for number four, you know, the more I thought about it, when I realized I hadn't put the warden from Shawshank on any of my lists, I was like, well, if you really think about it, it's one of the most evil characters ever on film because even as we just get towards the end of his you know, tenure as the warden, he knows the man is innocent and he throws him in solitary for months and months, takes the guy who knows that he's innocent and kills him, and then just doesn't give a shit that he did all that. And all the other stuff that he did is, is evil and crooked, but it's just like just the audacity to just triple down on his evilness in, in that film. To me, it's, it's my favorite film of all time in, you know, across genres and everything else, but one of the reasons it is is just because of how sinister that character is and how well it's performed you know one of the great character actors of all time and he he just does a, an amazing job of making you hate like physically get ill just looking at that character and um and you know Shawshank's got maybe the best collection of character actors in a, in a movie ever ever made um and and the, the warden is certainly right up there as far as just acting ability to really just make you feel what that character is trying to make you feel and and to me, it's as it's really a scary character, and it, I think it fits with horror. And it's not surprising that it comes from a Stephen King uh, piece of writing, because it, you really do feel like you are completely trapped and you're stuck, and you have no, you're not going to be able to get out. And you know, obviously, it's got one of the great twists in movie history and and, and um, of, of of films that are you know that are out there. But um, up until that moment, you just feel that helplessness that Andy feels um, throughout the, the film when they portray those first 19 years. So the, the warden is to me, one of the great villains I've ever seen. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, like I said, the, a lot of the classics that you expect to see are not on my list. So um, my, my list is very unique in that way. Um, so hey Ray, what's your, uh, you've, you've got, you said you've got a novel for your honorable mention. So, uh, so break it down for us. Okay. Um, this is a long list. Uh, I don't know if it's as long as Brian's, but it's long. I've got uh, I've got Gremlins, Gozer from Ghostbusters, Beetlejuice, David, uh, played by uh, Kiefer Sutherland in The Lost Boys. I've got Freddy Krueger. As much as I loved Freddy Krueger, I really only liked like the first three films. I thought Dream Warriors was pretty fun. The first film was the most scariest for me. I've never been into Jason, but Jason's. I've got Freddy and Jason in here out of respect. Um, I've got Louis and Lestat from Interview with a Vampire, The Blob, 
Jack Torrance, uh, Evil Dead, Evil from Evil Dead, Carrie, uh, the Xenomorph. I know that was in, mentioned in our science fiction uh, villains, but uh, uh, Alien is a horror film. So I put them in there out of respect. Norman Bates, a Psycho, out of respect. The Predator, it is action horror, but The Predator, it was a scary film when I saw it. Uh, Pie Man, the, the Ethereal Light from Hereditary in 2018. I've got uh, that, which was a br another one of those brand new horror films that came out that just blew me out of the water. Um, I almost put that in my list. Regan, <clears throat> Regan mm -hmm. uh, from The Exorcist in 1973. I've got the uh, the Mirror Family from Us in 2019. Another one of those new horror films that's done the tethered. A, yeah, yes, uh, the Candyman. Uh, classic respect. Uh, this is another one too. The Biker Gang from Mandy, uh, the Nicolas Cage horror film. Uh, that that was a really fun one. Um, the Witch, 2015, another newer horror film. Um, again, there's like four. There's like four directors that are just killing it right now. Um, uh, the Harder Cult from Midsommar in 2019. Uh, the Fast Zombies from 28 Days Later. The Slow Zombies from Night of the Living Dead, George Romero, and the 1993 remake. Uh, Poltergeist, uh, uh, the, the Omen, 1970. I always thought that nothing is scarier than a little ass kid that can just kill you on a whim. <laughs> <laughs> right up there with clowns and uh, dolls. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, the Babadook. The Babadook was surprisingly uh, a good one. Um, Leatherface and um, and yeah, and that's it. Yeah, I've got. Uh, yeah, that's it. That leaves your top three very intriguing. Because you 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 have you have some that pe some people might have as a top three. What about you? Some Brian? of those might be in my top three, Ray. Some of them. Yeah. I won't you say never know. Ones. Never, you know. never know. <laughs> okay. So I put mine in by by categories um, <laughs> because I had so many. So Stephen King villains, uh, Margaret White, uh, so Carrie's mom, um, Christine. I love that car. Uh, Cujo, Pettywise. Uh, Jack Torrance, uh, the Green Goblin truck from Maximum Overdrive. Nice. <laughs> Gosh, I just watched that movie again. It's so bad, but it's so awesome. <laughs> it's it, I, I I love it to death. I don't care. <laughs> um, Greg Stilson is played by Martin Sheen in The Dead Zone. Uh, okay, then um, and. There's one more Stephen King villain, but I'm saving it for my for my biggies list. Okay, uh, animals: uh, Godzilla, King Kong, the shark, and the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Uh, aliens: uh, the xenomorph, uh, the thing from the '82 version, the John Carpenter film. Uh, though I think the original is a cool movie. The villain, the thing, is is just is is kind of you know a Frankenstein creature. Yeah, it's pretty dated. Yeah, it's it's fine, but but uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is a masterpiece. Now is that and... is that the thing from another world? Is that the is that the yeah yeah? Because yeah. I, I just I just watched that the other day, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a, certainly a scary concept, but yeah, like once you actually see him, he's like, yeah, you're not that you're not that impressive. <laughs> yeah, which is what makes the 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 eighty two version so great. I mean, it's because it never really has. You never know what the thing looks like, right? Exactly, you know, uh, and it could be anybody, and that's the paranoia is so wonderful and scary. Uh, the body snatchers um, and the predator. Uh, let's see here. Then some others. I got um, Sam from Trick or Treat. 
Right. It's a killer demon kid. Yeah, killer demon pumpkin kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of genres he's crossing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, then uh, Jason Voorhees did not make my main list. Um, then I, I had a, a few that were just kind of fun. Doctor Fives, played by uh, Vincent Price in the Abominable Doctor Fives, which is just a treat of a hilarious campy movie. Um, Doctor Caligari from 1919's uh, The Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Um, Ghost. It's like the very very first horror film. Had to, had to include it for that reason, if nothing else. But it's a great film. Yeah, it's, it really it's, is. A, it's really good. Yeah, it still holds up a hundred years later, which is amazing. Um, Ghostface, uh, particularly uh, Billy and Stu from. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way. Sorry, I just gave away who the killers were. I, I think we can assume there's spoiler alerts in, in this podcast. <laughs> <in this project. laughs> Okay, so Billy and Stu from Scream 1, and then also uh, Jill and Charlie from Scream 4. Those are actually my favorite versions of Ghostface. Uh, Scream 4, and I'm really alone on this one. Scream 4 is my favorite of the Scream franchise. Ooh. Now, that's a hot take. That right is there. a hot take, but I like it. Yeah, but see, I don't, I don't know if I say that's a hot take as much as people that, you know, assume that people like certain films more, like... If you love a genre, then you're going to end up really liking kind of the, the the dark horse films that maybe people don't give enough attention to because you appreciate some of the things that are put in those films. So, you know, it's like to me, if, if I had that take, it might sound a little ignorant. But someone who has more of a background in the in the genre, it's like, no, that that makes total sense to me. So, you know, I think it's all just depends on what, what the, the perspective is. Oh, I'm very alone on that though. I mean, a lot of people think it's a lot of people think it's pretty cool, but but I don't know a lot of people that think it's think it's the best in the series, and I truly think it's the best of the series. So, anyway, and then uh this is this is a little bit of a of a of a uh, of a deep cut. Uh Leslie Vernon from the movie uh Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Very cool, uh, sort of. It's it's a post scream. It's a very meta kind of slasher movie. It's on my list to watch. It looks oh, awesome. I I I love it. I mean, its biggest issues are are its budget because it's extremely low budget. But I I I love that movie. I, first of all, I think it's hilarious. Uh, which I I love me a good horror comedy. Um, but. Anyway, okay, so here's here's my here's my biggies. These are the ones that I really truly considered to put on the list. Um, but they're still honorable one, mentions. They're still honorable okay, mentions. Okay, one of them, the Armitage family from Get Out. Uh, so, uh, you know, also known as rich white people. <laughs> uh, so, um, Mrs. Voorhees. Ah, yes, yes. From the That's original. Yes. Good one. That's a good one. I should have had yeah. it on my list. Yeah. Yeah. So, Candyman. That was hard to keep off. Uh, Lord Summerisle. I'm looking forward to that remake. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, Lord Summerisle, uh, played by Christopher Lee in The Wicker Man. Uh, another oldie, uh, Cabman John Gray, Boris Karloff in The Body Snatcher. Okay, uh, the Gemini Killer from Exorcist Three. 
Exorcist 3 is extremely underrated. It's a great film. It's it's much better than than it's it's sort of grown in reputation. It's a great movie. Uh, Hannibal Lecter, uh, Mark Lewis from Peeping Tom, and then these are the two that. Okay, Norman Bates would have been my number two, but I don't think he quite fits the bill as being that villain who joyously enjoys ripping people to shreds yeah. and destroying yeah, them. Yeah, if, if with that being your kind of main thing, that makes sense. Yeah, he 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 was a, on my original list. He was number two, uh, but the one that almost took the spot of death was Rose the Hat. From Doctor Sleep. Which oh, I haven't seen Doctor Sleep seen yet. That either. Which is the sequel to The Shining, and um, right. <clears throat> I think that she is. I mean, of of recent horror villains, um, that character is so frightening. I mean, there's there's a, there's a scene in the film um, uh, involving child uh that is so disturbing i mean you you will not believe that it is in a mainstream horror film um because dr sleep uh was my was my favorite movie uh not of any genre of 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 2019 and uh it's 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 in some ways i mean it's not the masterpiece that the shining is but in some ways i enjoy it more I will probably go back and watch Dr. Sleep more than The Shining because it has um, it has this element to it where, I mean, The Shining is a very cold, cold movie, which is, you know, I mean, that's kind of Kubrick's thing. You know, his movies are, are unemotional. They're, they're detached. Um, but there's a real powerful emotional core uh, to Dr. Sleep. And uh, it's, scary it's um very moving uh it 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 had everything that that i could have wanted in a movie and um you know i don't i don't get really emotional a lot of movies but that one uh really really moved me um and so highly recommend it uh if you if any to anyone who hasn't seen dr sleep once and just from kubrick i mean He's like Clockwork Orange. I can't. I've only seen once. I can't watch it again. Shining. I've only seen once. I don't think I can watch it again. Like it's, they they stick with you. Like you were. They're so memorable. You know, two thousand one similar. Three, like I I've seen it once, and I don't know if I can see it again. That's maybe for different reasons because it's so long and boring at parts. But <laughs> but I mean, but you know, they're also. I almost put Hal on the list. Me too. <laughs> But it's like, you know, I ha- but again, I have Clockwork Orange and Shining on my list, you know, so it's like even though I have a hard time watching them again, it that they left an indelible mark on on me. So it's there's definitely something working um with those films. So Rudy, what about you? What are your uh, honorable mentions? So my list is also it's one entry longer than my actual top 11 list too, and I'll go through it really fast. Uh The Creeper from Jeepers Creepers. I ended up liking that film. I, I saw it by accident and ended up really liking it. I thought it was pretty good. And uh, the guy who made that movie, it's that's kind of a that he's kind of controversial, but he's got another movie that ends up on here too. But uh, number eleven, The Lost Boys from The Lost Boys. Obviously, Kiefer Sutherland in the lead for that. But uh, love, 
Uh, I've never been the biggest vampire dude, but I love Lost Boys. Jigsaw from Saw is played by Tobin Bell. Uh, this one's appeared on everyone's list so far. The Tethered from Us in 2019. Uh, number eight, Cujo from Cujo. Yeah. Number seven, The Escaped Inmates from Clown House, which is also same director as Jeepers Creepers. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding that movie now. Yeah, I, I worked for a woman whose son was in that film, and they sued him, and they still get checks from that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a terrifying movie that I wish wasn't marred uh, by the director's behavior, but uh, Clown House was, that pretty much was the nail in the coffin, and I hate clowns forever now because of that movie. Uh, that was the final. That was the final straw. I was like, I can't do this clown thing anymore. Uh, so number six, uh, the Universal Monsters: Dracula, Frankenstein, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, yeah, thank you. Number five, the Harga Cult from Midsommar, my favorite horror movie of the last twelve months. Midsommar, uh, Candlestick Boy, you should watch it. It's a masterpiece. It's a slow burn. It um, it's a it's incredible how when you change the soundtrack to these like crazy ass moments, how almost beautiful and enchanting they made these awful moments seem, which was uh, I think was done very intentionally, and I I think helped the audience feel the seduction of the Harga cult in that movie. Um, number four, the entity from It Follows. Number three, uh, Samara Morgan, uh, played by uh, Devi Chase from I don't know if I'm saying her name right from The Ring. At number two, Damien. There's a couple. It's a different actor in every movie, but from the Omen franchise. And at number one, the if uh, if Norman Bates is the granddaddy, then this guy is the grandfather, Billy from Black uh, Bill, uh, the, the Yeah, the, the grandfather of the slasher. Well, era, and and you know I Billy. included Mark Lewis from Peeping Tom on mine, and uh, he's he came out three months before. Norman Bates. <laughs> so technically, he, uh, wow. yeah, there you uh, go. And, um, and uh, Peeping Tom was a British film, um, and uh, uh, there was the first. It, it uses the killer POV uh, for the first time uh, it, that I that I'm aware of. Oh, I see. I didn't know. I haven't seen Peeping Tom. I've heard. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's it. a tough movie. I've got an article coming up in a couple months on it, but uh, it's uh, it's it's. It's still really effective. I was, I was, I was amazed at how effective it still is. It's great. Anyway, awesome, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Black Christmas is one of those movies that's you know it. it you know, there's a real famous story that uh, Carpenter was speaking to the director and asked him if he ever would make a sequel to this film. What would it be? And he uh, he said, "Well, I would I would choose a different holiday. Maybe Halloween. I'd go into Halloween." <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a very that there's a, that very famous conversation between Carpenter and the director whose name Bob, escaped me. Bob Clark. Black Christmas. Bob Clark. Yeah, he, he also directed another Christmas movie uh, that is beloved, A Christmas Story. Yeah. Christmas Story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same yeah. guy. Same guy. Yep. He, yep. he did, he did a really guy. weird indie it's film. Opposite sides of the spectrum. He did a really there. weird indie film before that called uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Uh, <laughs> it's so weird. Wow. Uh, Black Christmas is a lot more polished. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people you have to get to the end of Black Christmas. You have to get to the final 15 minutes because, uh, I, you know, if you've watched Scream, 
the 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 end of Black Christmas is essentially Scream. You know, it's a, the, almost the same exact movie. And and the thing about Black Christmas also is that it's been aped so many times that I think people, when they go back and see it, it sometimes it's hard for people in the modern era to really appreciate what it is because pretty much every memorable moment in Black Christmas has been done 50,000 times in every other horror film you've ever seen. You know, because there's only like five memorable moments in the movie. Other than that, it's pretty slow in the middle. Um, you know, but I still I, I still really enjoy it for what it is and for its uh, its contributions to the horror franchise and uh, for the conversation it gave to John Carpenter. All right. Candlestick, Will, your turn, buddy. I, I have a short list just because I, I figured I would sit back and listen to everyone's recommendations for and and let you guys and share all the classics. So all I have is if I was going to have the warden from Shawshank, I also have to give a shout out to the, the main guard from Shawshank because he was such an evil asshole. Um, if I have the shark from Jaws, I also got to give a shout out to the truck from Duel because that was just an evil, evil character. Um, and then the other one, just for fun, because I love it, um, and Brian, we've had a quick conversation about this back uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, Dr. Werner Klopek from yes. The Burbs. The Burbs was going to be your number one. I, I was. No. The bur- <laughs> well, so the, the, burbs, the Burbs is one of my yeah. favorite films of all time. I almost you know, put them in my family. One, great movie. Um, great movie. I, it's one of those movies where I've got the – I have the VHS still. I have a VHS player that works. I still remember um, the – this trailer stuff, you know, before the film um, that they were showing, it was uh, they would show before the film. I've seen it on that VHS copy a hundred times at least, and I just love that film so much. But that premise and that idea of just your neighbors being murderers and just being convinced that they're psychotic, and then finding out that he actually was just this ser- serial killer, it's like that guy was fucking evil. Like it's just, it's just hilarious to me that. Um, that you know, it's just this casual serial killer, you know, ultimately, and uh, and and just when someone's that like calm and collected and cool, and then he also is just this evil killer. It's just that to me is always a great a great way of of introducing someone in a film. So I got to give a shout out to my to my one of my favorite films growing up, The Burbs, because do you, it, it's absolutely. Do you like Rear Window? Oh, I love Rear Window. Yeah, from okay. Hitchcock. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and H- Hitchcock to me, I mean, he, he's he's such a he's such a, a goat when it comes to filmmaking in general. But the the villains in there aren't that many villains in Hitchcock films. Like, there's incredibly scary concepts, but the actual literal like villain characters. And I was kind of going through. It's like there isn't necessarily that many. Um, and and we've mentioned one already, and and there might be. That he might be on my list, you know, <laughs> coming up here, but um, but it's like when you actually think about, you know, like you guys mentioned Norman Bates, like are there other Norman Bates type characters in his films? It's like, well, unless you want to include the birds from the birds, or like you know, there aren't wow. there aren't that many actual villains that you could really shout out the, from Hitchcock, the, and it's it's kind of the brilliance. The one of him. that I that I that I think is truly my favorite even even i mean it's not really a horror film but uh robert wagner's character in strangers on a train oh yeah 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 is Mm -hmm. is is sort of like the ultimate ultimate hitchcock villain and i love james mason in north by northwest uh him and and uh uh oh gosh who uh it's escaping me you know you know who i'm talking about it's gonna drive me crazy uh 
fortunately the internet movie database exists and we can just pull it up but um the yeah i know um uh martin landau right yes of course yes martin landau i was gonna say i was as i'm looking it up i'm like wait i know this <laughs> yeah that's that's super young martin landau too i when, when my first time seeing north by northwest i was like I didn't know he was young before. <laughs> you know, it's like that when you when I think the first movie I saw Martin Landau in was uh, Ed Wood, where he was playing Bella Lugosi, and he was very, you know, mature. So it's going back later. No, but you're you're right. Uh, you know, Strangers on a Train, also the the also the the main killer in Rope. Yeah. Um. You know, the, there there's definitely some villains in Hitchcock films that are absolutely belong on these lists, but. But yeah, Hitchcock in general is just incredible. So I, I'm a huge fan of his of his body of work. I would also give a shout out to Uncle Charlie in uh, Shadow of a Doubt, uh, Joseph yeah. Cotton. Yeah, I mean uh, that. It's funny. I've tried I've tried to watch that film a few times, and jo- Joan Fontaine is so over the top that it just it's it feels very 40s instead of a movie that 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 te- you know that keeps the test of time. It's like. The, the the way the acting is in that movie is really hard for me, but you're right. Cotton does does do a good job. Um, all right, so let's 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 do it. Top three. What you got, Ray? All right. Um, oh, I also realized that my page. Um, I missed the second half of my page. I had Dr. Robert Elliott, Michael Caine from Dress to Kill, and Graboids from Tremors in my uh, honorable mentions. Dress to Kill is fantastic. Yeah, that's a good one. Can I throw in? Can I throw in real quick? Uh, because we were talking about Hitchcock, it made me think of Alan Arkin in Wait Until Dark. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's another one that could have easily been on my list. That's one of my favorite films. Period. That that movie is amazing. We could have a separate podcast just on these honorable. We could have like five podcasts <laughs> on these we, honorable we, mentions. We could go on and on because every every time you say one, it's like, oh, then there's this one. I know you guys brought up ones that I've forgotten about, and vice versa. It's uh, it's fun. <laughs> All right, here we go. So three through one. At number three, I've got um, David, a.k.a. The Werewolf from American Werewolf in London, 1981. I've got The Thing from The Thing in 1982. And at number one, no surprise to Rudy, I've got Michael Myers from the Halloween series. I could not avoid not putting him there. Brian, what's your top three? Okay, I also have a werewolf at my number three, except it is Marsha Quist from The Howling from 1985. Ah, very cool. <laughs> ah, so that's kind of fun. Number two, Connell Cochran from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Oh, wow, oh. nice. And number one is Freddy Krueger as he appears in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1. Nice. Freddy deserved to be on somebody's no- number one on someone's list. He did. He really did. What about you, Rudy? I love it. All right. At number three, the zombies from the Night of the Living Dead franchise, Night of the Living Dead in particular. Number two, Reagan McNeil, when she's possessed by Pazuzu, as played by Linda Blair in The Exorcist. And uh, it'll be no shock to my brother Raymond, number one, the goat, the daddy of all slasher killers, my favorite horror character, and my favorite horror franchise of all time, Michael Myers, Halloween franchise. Uh, all of them. Uh, even the shitty ones, he's, he's always really <laughs> <laughs> Even the worst Halloween movie, 
Michael Myers is still good. <laughs> He's always good. He's always terrifying. Yeah, I have a good friend who will agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Candlestick Will, what about you, buddy? So um, I got Annie Wilkes from Misery at number three. Oh, great one. Yeah, that's a nice I have one. Norman Bates from Psycho at number two. And you brought you threw it out there, Rudy, but my number one is the white people from Get Out. Oh! <laughs> That was Brian. That was me. That was, that was, yeah. that was Brian. That's that was right. Brian. That was Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the, Armitage, the Armitage family is scary, but every single white person yeah. in that film is scary yeah. as hell. So, Ray, Ray, break it down for us, your top three. All right. If there's one thing I like more than vampires, it is werewolves. I love the concept of it. I love the fact that it can be passed on with just anything as simple as a scratch. I'm very much drawn to these films, and I believe American Werewolf, I think probably... American Werewolf in London I saw when I was really young. I think I saw Silver Bullet after that. I think I saw, um, what was the other one? Uh, Fright, or no, uh, yeah. I, I, there's a bunch of them I've seen. I, I just Teen love. Wolf. I saw Teen Wolf. Uh, <laughs> the Howling. Arguably the best, the howling. The best I've werewolf seen the movie howling. ever made. Company of Wolves. Um, but this Ginger one. Ginger Snaps, uh, that was later. <laughs> even the, um, even the, the first half of Thriller, I love just because of the, the, the film cinematic aspect of the music video is really, really fun and entertaining to watch. And even aspects of the, the whole, I mean, they get zombies, zombies and werewolves together. It's a great video. But the American Werewolf in London is so my one of my favorite horror films of all time and the fact is you don't even get to see the werewolf very often in this film most of the kills are off screen um with the exception of like you see a little bit of mauling um uh, of of the main character as he gets trans as he he dies and, and david gets to scratch and becomes the werewolf um and the, the the friend slowly decaying and he's kind of this comedic relief that kind of breaks up the the really gruesome horror deaths of, of all these innocent people and then david's character um has all these crazy night at the time when i saw the film i thought the nightmares were scary They're, they they don't some of them don't quite hold up today but uh at the time when i saw it i thought these these are the i was like oh my god you become a werewolf and then you have nightmares with uh, nazi zombie monsters this is the worst this is the worst curse ever i thought this is just horrible but the fact that all the deaths are off screen again the best horror villains uh some of the best films are, are when you don't see the the antagonist you know alien you rarely see the alien a lot of the kills are kind of they're weird edits and you don't see it very well um, it just makes it way more scarier because you know it's there. You know it's coming. You know you're going to get a good shot at it at some point. I'm so je jealous of Joe Rogan. He has a life-size doll of the American World from London in his uh, studio where he does his podcast. And everyone always takes pictures of it. And it's all over his uh, Instagram. Um, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's huge. Um, just uh, And then the scene when he transforms. I believe, I think the Academy Awards were given uh, to, for that scene. Just uh, to me, to this day, even with all of the CG effects that we have today, I still think that this is the best werewolf transformation scene in film history of all werewolf films. Uh, there's some that, that do very well and are okay, but I love, again, the, these practical effects, they still hold up to this day. That's what's so amazing about the the effort that went into this, this scene. 
and it's just it's very abrupt it's got uh the the weird shot of mickey mouse while he's transforming uh the the music that's playing that that's completely contrast to to what's happening all the pain that david's going through as his body is is morphing and transforming and the eyes and the lungs and his bones are breaking and stretching and all this crazy stuff uh the howling that the werewolf gives it just i love this film from top to bottom john landis's best work by far um, the Thing, um, the very next year. Uh, the Thing, just I saw this later in life. I didn't see it when I was young, but when I saw it, I was A, once again, Kurt Russell doing Kurt Russell things. He has some of the best lines in the film. Uh, everyone in this cast is absolutely dynamite. Um, it's so, you are, you're just as confused and paranoid as, as the characters are in the film. Cause you're like, who the hell is it? Who's doing this? Who's doing what there's, and there's lots of stuff that happens in the film that never has any conclusion. The film itself doesn't have a clear cut conclusion, uh, as we find out at the very end. And there's lots of debate still going on to this day on YouTube about that film. And I thought two thousand the 2011 did a nice job threading the prequel, which I thought was a cool, a cool approach. Although again, you have the practical effects, even though some of the practical effects you can tell that, you know, like they don't quite look, but they, still work i think they work really well i think the, the the head splitting off when when the guy's stomach opens up and eats the other guy's arms the fact the that sad part is that it, they actually created a lot of practical effects for all of it and then cgi'd over everything they in 2011 yes i, I mm-hmm. heard about that too and they said it looks you, you so go bad see the behind the it, scenes almost all that stuff is done with practical effects and then they just they just abandon it and it, it kind of it it dampens the movie the quality it does you know even though i think it the story works well and i i think it threads the films perfectly i think it's a seamless thread between that one and that one i enjoyed it for the most part but the effects fall short for me i very much enjoy the thing effects way more again you're constantly it's a you're constantly guessing throughout this entire movie and i don't think there's when i first saw it i i I didn't guess anything right and it was it wasn't until the second time when i already had a go-through where i could sort of figure certain that but i was to this day i'm still at a loss with certain parts of the film because i'm just i just don't know who did it who did that part? Who did this? Who did that? Who cut the power? Who who uh, sabotaged the blood? I don't, I don't know to this day, which is, again, just the brilliant markings of a great horror film where you're just confused. You don't know who's who. It can be anything. You don't even know what the thing looks like. You just see it in encased uh, ice, and we don't know what its true form is. That part's really scary. So out of all of the villains, horror films we've gone through, that's the one where you just really don't know what it looks like. You don't. It's it's just it takes on some, uh, some weird form of human in whatever uh, species it takes over. And, of course, Halloween... I cannot go wrong. I grew up watching these films with Rudy. Uh, we saw them at a very young, inappropriate age. It obviously didn't uh, change. I'm still a good person, I assure you. Uh, but uh, these these films, just the 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 shape, the uh, the emotionless face, that is something that's just like the the it's there's something and you you most the the good films the films that i like in the series because i don't like all of them although i do think michael myers is great in all of these films which i can't say the same for all of the villains and other you know uh long-standing horror franchises you know freddy kind of gets worse as the films go along jason gets worse as the films go along but michael myers even the rob zombie ones is still pretty scary all the time you know he doesn't say anything um, but again, the, the emotionless mask, uh, the, the William Shatner mask that was altered into this scary, iconic face. Um, 
it made i saw the, the the new film that came out in 2018 i saw it three times in the theater i was in love with the film i thought it it did the film justice the way i'd always hoped the sequels would whenever a new sequel came out and i'm very much looking forward to the new one that they have in the making here uh, and it was the most successful film of the franchise michael fires is just a scary son of a bitch he just keeps coming no matter what he's tough he's not he, i mean he's damn near close to a dracula immortality with the the way he seems to be able to come back from all of this stuff um so i'm, I'm curious how they plan on putting a bow uh if they do decide to put a bow on it in the next film although if it does even you know half or three quarters as well as the previous film you know we probably are just going to get uh some more some more of the uh, michael myers but again but there there is two films there, yeah, it, there's Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, and Halloween Ends begins shooting uh, pretty soon here. Halloween Kills, Halloween Kills is in the can, and then it's it's the middle film, and Halloween Ends is is the uh, is the next one. Yeah, so I'm definitely shoot. curious how they wrap up Bow on it. But again, I had to give the crown to Michael Myers. If there was one classic horror villain that deserved the the crown in my book, yeah, it was Michael Myers. What about you, Brian? Okay, so um, a werewolf as well. Um, I love American Werewolf in London to death, but um, I, I think it's probably because I saw it first. The Howling is uh, my favorite werewolf movie. Um, it's <laughs> it, again, it's 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 sort of a sort of a horror comedy thing, um, but of course, so is so is uh, American Werewolf in London. Um, but uh, I, I love Joe Dante. I, I loved Gremlins already. So when I found out, hey, this werewolf movie has is from the director of Gremlins and the Burbs. Hey, um, I thought <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, and so uh, there's just, it, it's it's got a great cast. Um, you know, you've got D. Wallace and you've got uh, Robert Picardo and uh, you've got. Uh, D. Wallace's husband, uh, you know, the stone of D. Wallace. Uh, so, um, but it's just, it's just this, uh, really clever. Um, it's, it's a horror movies lover. Uh, it's a horror movie lovers horror movie because it has all these inside jokes. It's got all this stuff going on. It's got, you know, John Carradine, you know, being crazy and all sorts of things. I mean, it's just a terrific film, but the, the real, the scariest villain of the piece is, is Marsha Quist, um, who she's sort of this siren. She's the who played by a woman named Elizabeth Brooks, who was like a soap opera actress, uh, was not particularly well known uh, and died fairly young, unfortunately. But um, she's just so. Uh, again, it's that joyous. I love being a werewolf. It's so cool because you get to do what you want and you get to run around naked and turn into a <laughs> turn into a, a monster and kill people and that's you know just that joy and you know uh, and the movie's got a great cliffhanger with her as as the one werewolf who escaped from this that just unfortunately never got paid off in any of the sequels um, so anyway Mar Marsha Quist uh, from the howling uh, number two Connell Cochran played by Dan O'Harelahy in uh, Halloween 3. I don't think Halloween 3 is the best Halloween movie. Um, I, the, the original is, is my favorite by far. 
Uh, I loved the newest one uh, as well, the 2018 version. Um, and, uh, you know, lots of the others as well. But but as a, as far as villains go, um, this is someone who is so evil. I mean, just, just the... The one who, the ones who kill children and take sort of this delight in killing children, uh, are just kind of. Those are really, really scary, bad people, you know, um, and uh, with with uh, that particular character, you know, he's a mask maker. He's basically trying to kill all the children in the world on Halloween night. Okay, that's crazy. And, uh, so <laughs> to, to understate, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Dan O'Hurley, he, uh, he, I had already been familiar with him cause I loved RoboCop as a kid. That was one of my favorite movies and still is, but, um, but he was just so good in that role. And, um, you know, it's funny that, that my top three, you know, don't really appear in the movies they're in that much, but they're so memorable and leave such an indelible mark on the film. Um, which brings me to number one, um, Freddy Krueger in a nightmare on Elm street from 1984. Um, I, I think what, um, Wes Craven created and then, uh, Robert England embodied in that first film, um, and to some extent in the second as well, uh, is so frightening and sort of this gleeful um, toying with with every single victim. Let's see how badly I can frighten this person before I kill them. You know, there's never... I, I've heard, you know... It, uh, Robert England has said, you know, Freddie never asked you to like him. Freddie likes his work. You know, Freddie enjoys what he does and he takes such glee in his revenge. Um, and I think that what, what Freddie is in the first movie is something really, really dark and really, really scary. And, um, it just sort of gets watered down even by the third film, which I like and the fourth film, which I like um, by giving, they give him motive. They give him reason to, to be the way he is. Oh, he's the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. So that's the way he is. That's why he is the way he is. I, I think that just sort of cheapens what, what Freddie is supposed to be. And Freddie is, is just like, the embodiment of let's bury the problem. Let's not think about the problem. Let's put it out here and then it's going to come back and it's going to uh, hurt our children or it's going to, we're, we're going to leave our problem for someone else and it's going to come back and it's going to be worse and it's going to uh, destroy everything that we care about. I mean, uh, Freddy Krueger is an endlessly rich metaphor uh, for all sorts of things, just like zombies are. <laughs> I mean, zombies are zombies can be used uh, to talk about any kind of social thing, uh, and I think Freddy can uh, in his own way. And and the biggest one is 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 in the destruction of of innocent people. 
And um, that is why Freddy Krueger, uh, specifically from the first film, is my number one. I always found the concept of Freddy Krueger, the idea that there was this child murderer that was captured by adults and murdered and that somehow in trying to eradicate this person they made the problem so much worse because he somehow found his way to this dream state where he could now continue his murder spree but in the nightmares and dreams of children I always found that concept as a kid so terrifying and it was a lot more visceral as a child because as a child you think why could be that kid I could have that nightmare and he could come get me. Those things are so, they, you know, horror feels so much more real when you're a kid because when you're a kid, it could, it could, you, your, your brain is willing to accept the possibility that it could really happen. And the fact that they, in killing him, they made him immortal and, and now he lives in children's dreams. I found that concept as a child so horrifying and so scary. Um, and I, 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 I agree with everything you said. Like, Freddie, I'm glad he was number one on your list because I thought for sure he deserved to be number one on somebody's list because Freddie is, I definitely consider him very high up there, you know, right up there with Michael Myers as one of the most interesting uh, 80s slasher killers, horror film monsters of all time. He's he's fascinating, and, and his his power set is is pretty pretty unique and very, very terrifying. I remember really enjoying the Dream Warriors one because that's when the characters actually fought back. Because I remember thinking, like, you can do stuff in your dream. I do stuff in my dream all the time. How come they just don't do <laughs> that stuff? <laughs> and so in that film, they finally did it. Although in retrospect, when I've when I've seen it, um, clips of it, I'm just like, man, these fights don't hold up the way they did when I first saw the film when I was really young. Because I remember thinking, like, yeah, they've got powers too. Now, now it's an even fight. But then, in, in in the in retrospect, they're like they're like one punch, and then it's over. <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 in my, and, in, and in my opinion, I mean, uh, I think that that Nancy Thompson in the first movie, uh, she really is proactive. She really does go in. She fights back. We don't we don't necessarily see everything, um, but I I actually think she's. I mean, she's my favorite final girl, if that's a term that we could use. But it's. Um, I, I I think, and one of the reasons that why is because I mean she's like, she's like okay I'm going to fall asleep on purpose, and I'm gonna go get this guy, and I'm gonna see and I'm I'm gonna see if I can I don't know if this is even gonna work, but I'm gonna try and bring him into the real world and see if I can if I can destroy him. And in all honesty, the more I watch that movie, the more I think she she never actually pulls him out of the dream world he has kept her in the dream world the whole time and she doesn't even know it she doesn't even know she's asleep we as an audience don't know more and more as the film goes on is this a waking state or a dream state and Wes Craven um just sort of beautifully blends the two and you know I've seen that movie far too many times than than is healthy but um it, <laughs> it, it uh but the more that i that i see it the more the more i start thinking about what is the reality you know what where does the dream state start and is there any portion of this movie that is not 
in the dream state. But, you know, I mean, but but it's not it's not in a cheap, oh, it was just a dream sense. Because there's this there's a real danger always present. Because if you're in the dream world, you're on his turf and he can dispatch you at any moment in that in that world. So anyway, I, I, I could like I've I've written <laughs> I mean I've written by far about Nightmare on Elm Street more than anything else. So, so, and, and there's just so much, so much to be said about that character, about that movie. Um, and, and honestly, I like the other movies in the series. Um, but none of them, none of them, I, I think really capture the ideas and, and the sort of depth of things that, that Wes Craven was going for in that first movie. Uh, even his own remake, his own ver- uh, uh, sequel, The New Nightmare, which I like a lot. I think is a really great film. Um, it's a precursor to Scream. Yeah. It's kind of like his yeah. first test run of Scream. Yeah, in a, in a, in a sense it is. Uh, I, I think, I, and, and that's the other version of Freddy that I like, that I like almost as much as the original. Um, but it's just this idea that Freddy is something more than just the 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 killer the if he's he's an embodiment of something much bigger um and they're big ideas and and it really swings for the for the fences and you know budget kind of kept it from being able to to land every single one of them but i i think that that there's just so much I like I I could I like I said I could go on for far too long and it's getting late so we should we should <laughs> we should shut me up about about Nightmare on Street. That's that's the beauty of this though is that we're talking about things we care about. Rudy, what's your top three or or break, I should say break down your top three. So at number three, I have the zombies from the Night of the Living Dead franchise, and um, when I was really I really had a hard time. Uh, trying to figure out what would be two and three. I knew Michael Myers was going to be number one from from a month ago. The, you know, if you, I, that's going to be my. He's the Michael Jordan to me of of horror horror film villains forever. But um, I really didn't know. And I mean, I I I moved around a lot of different things. But then when I really thought about the zombies from Night of the Living Dead, and kind of going back to metaphors and importance. I mean, think about. The world, the horror world we live in, if Night of the Living Dead is never made, right? Like all of the icon, you know, all the iconic movies, uh, The Walking Dead, the shows. I mean, just think about the gaping hole that exists in horror if the the zombies are are never presented in Night of the Living Dead in the way that they are. Those rules are still held to this day in virtually every zombie movie you've ever seen, every zombie television show, and the sheer influence of those creatures I think was impossible to deny. And it's really why I put them at number three. I love Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead is kind of like what you were saying, Brian, is an endless metaphor for a lot of different things. Um, you know, it was it was talking about the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in that movie. And I thought the remake was uh, fantastic too. The original remake is really, really good. And um, the one from mm-hmm. the one from 1990 is that right? The, yeah, that it is good. It is good. It, it's kind of it, it doesn't it gets 
it, it, it gets it, shit on a little bit, um, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. It, it, it is. It's, it's aged. It is. Um, you know, and in some ways, along. it's it's yeah. almost a. You know, it's it, it's not quite this, but it's almost like a shot for shot remake, kind of one of those films where it's like it's so close. You're going like, well, almost, why didn't we? Why did we do this? But I think that the they they really expanded upon some things that needed to be expanded and they fleshed some things out. And it, 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 to me, it was a, it was a nice redux and, and they complement each other well. And um, so I had to have the zombies. Once I, th- once I, once I kind of laid the list down and I was like, I just, the zombies at three made perfect sense for me. Not only for just how terrifying they are, but just the sheer influence of that creation. It's impossible to deny. At number two, this one, the reason I put, Linda Blair's performance uh, as Reagan McNeil uh, in The Exorcist is because this is the one that I put here. Everything else, a lot of this is the film and the director and the atmosphere. Linda Blair is the one person on this list. I think with the only other, with the the other exceptions, maybe being uh, Skarsgård, Curry, Englin, uh, and maybe Perkins. This is all performance. This this movie is made on Linda Blair's performance and of course the voice, all the voiceover they stuff they do. But she she's just a little kid when she makes that movie, and she she is selling this thing. And I mean every the the everything helps as far as like the the voiceover stuff and the uh, the special effects. But Linda Blair's performance and for her to be at her age, it's so terrifying, and it very similar to Night of the Living Dead. You know, every every possession movie ever since then is just trying to get back to The Exorcist and uh, with varying de- degrees of success. But it really both these movies, in fact, all three now that I sit here and I'm talking in real time, all three of these movies really, really come down to uh, the the performance and the influence, the influence of what these what these films have. And I think Linda Blair's performance is the best horror film performance on the list. I, I don't think anybody tops what she did in this movie. And um, I, I it just I, literally all of this for me hangs on Linda Blair's performance. Like it is to me is just hands down, not just one of the best horror film performances. It's one of the best acting performances in cinema history. I mean, it's it's up there. It's going to be in anybody's top 50 list. You have to put Linda Blair in there because she is just so effective and so haunting. And she's just a kid, which is even better. And then at number one, uh, you know, I, what can I say that already hasn't been said? Uh, Michael Myers, the my my favorite. He, we, you know, we talked about the, the granddaddy of slasher films for me is Norman Bates, and then you know the or the great granddaddy. Then the grandpa is of course Billy, and then this is the big daddy. And uh, Michael Myers for me, uh, I've been obsessed with the character probably the way you are, Brian, with uh, with Nightmare on Elm Street. From the moment I saw this movie, this horror film, uh, I. I, it's the first horror film that just from the intro as a little child, that music and that pumpkin were so fucking scary that I, I was literally already like anxiety from the intro as a little kid. I was like, I don't know what I'm in for, but this movie's going to be fucked up and I'm going to be scared as hell. And I, I knew going in and the mask, the blade, uh, you know, the way he's in and out, uh, another character that truly enjoys murdering people and um, the first two movies, I, Michael Myers was like my obsession. I thought he was, you know, if you can use this word, I thought he was just so cool. He looks so cool. Um, I, that mask to me is still the scariest mask. Um, I think I, there's been a lot of things written as why that mask is so scary. I think it comes down to the fact that it's a human face and it's a blank slate. 
It's so emotionless, um, despite the fact that he clearly enjoys what he's doing. And I think John Carpenter, another master of horror, uh, the, the theme song plus the character. And again, going back to the idea of influence, where are we in horror if there is no Halloween? You know, the entire slasher film genre, similar with Night of the Living Dead, the entire zombie genre. I don't know if they exist or if they do exist, and it's a completely different form if these two movies are never made. Um, same with Exorcist. All three of these. You take these three movies out of the out of horror film as a, out of horror as a genre. We have no idea what horror looks like today. It probably looks completely different, and we have literally dozens and dozens of great horror films that probably are never made because these three films weren't created. And yeah, Michael Myers is uh, is definitely. My Michael Jordan. I agree with you. The twenty six, the twenty sixteen one. Um, I, I loved it. I, I had a feeling the whole time it was going to be good. I'm not a big fan of Rob Zombie's ones, although I agree with you, Ray. Um, I, I think actually Hor- Halloween two. Kind of going off on a quick tangent, then we'll get done because we're getting real long here. Halloween two from Zombie. Had they just stayed in the hospital and just redone it, I thought it might have been one of the greatest Halloween movies ever made. That was the 30 minutes of the best Halloween movie I'd ever seen. We were right there. And then they just pull the rug, and then he becomes The Undertaker from the WWE for the rest of the movie, and it kind of lost me. But um, I do. I like him in all the movies. Uh, Even... Right, I've heard right, that same he's... comment. <laughs> I actually, I actually really like Rob Zombie's Halloween too. I don't like the first one very much, but I do like Rob Zombie's Halloween too a lot. Um, and you know, I, it it grew on me over time because I, I liked sort of it was diving into some of the crazy sort of psychological territory that I thought was interesting. And so I that's like why the ambitious like stuff. It took a lot of guts. It took a lot of guts, um, but definitely as a Halloween purist. There's a there's a version of Rob Zombie's Hospital 30 Minutes that I want to see the two hours of that because I was like we are we're going in yeah. I was I was ready I was like this is this is it man we're gonna we're I I wasn't the, the biggest fan of the first one too it was kind of felt like I'm like why do we make this when we already have the original Halloween um, but the the second that first 30 minutes for me is the greatest Halloween movie never one of the greatest Halloween movies never made but uh, but in general uh, Halloween one two in 2016. Are 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 the the top the top Halloween performances ever? But yeah, for sure. Candlestick Will, what about you, buddy? So uh, Annie Wilkes from Misery. Um, again, I just you know Kathy Bates is such a incredible actress, and it's again such a incredible concept of you know you're tr- literally trapped in the bed, you can't move, you think you think you've got this person who's your biggest fan, then you find out it's literally your worst nightmare, and you know, I think one of the themes as I've been explaining my list, it's a lot of times it's when you, you think someone's one way and they turn out to be another, or you think the movie's going in one direction and then it completely 180s and goes a different direction, that that sometimes is the scariest concept of when you, you, you feel comfortable and then you feel completely helpless. Um, and James Caan's fear in that movie just feels so real. And, and I mean... The, the scenes in that movie are, are hard to rewatch um, because they're just so just disturbing how Kathy Bates makes you feel just because you feel like you're sitting there trapped in your chair as you're watching it. Um, and it's just, it's just an incredible film. Um, Norman Bates and psycho. Um, we, we brought up the other Hitchcock films, you know, strangers on a train and rope in particular, or other great films that I sh- maybe should have put on my list. Um, but Norman Bates, I mean, you know, 
my my list has a lot of A-list actors. When when you're so good as a villain in a film that you basically don't get work the rest of your career because they see you as the the, the killer and psycho and they can't see you as something else, you know you've left 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 a mark because I mean there there was very little work after that um you know for uh after that performance and it's hard not to because those eyes at the end of the film i mean that last scene is just haunting and um the whole film the whole concept is 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 incredible because hitchcock's just a genius but the um you know that performance is just it's it's really hard to forget um and it, it makes you really appreciate just um how how incredible films can be sometimes when they're just when they're performed well um, I actually feel bad for him that it, it, in some ways kind of ruined his career um, as an actor. You know, Anthony Perkins was a decent actor, but he just didn't seem to be able to get my, many roles after that because he was so memorable as that. It was hard to picture him as anybody else. Um, and then my number one, um, you know, you guys have seen a lot of recent films and you, you brought put a lot on your list. Get Out was one of the most incredible films I've ever seen. Um, it's one of the most incredible films uh, I've de- it's one of the highest ranked films I have of the last decade, uh, let alone period. Um, but just when you really peel back the layers of how frightening those characters are, because in a lot of ways they represent exactly what we're seeing in this world right now today of how people have treated others, you know, whether, whatever that is, whatever, when someone feels like somebody else is less than them, the lengths they would go to just make them feel or to make them subhuman. Um, I mean, the premise in get out is, you know, as real as that gets, it's like, you, we're just going to wear your body because your body's more physically, you know, um, you know, more physically gifted than ours. And we want to live forever and we don't care if you live. And that just kind of nonchalant f- reaction to other human beings is unfortunately what we're really seeing in the real world of how people are being treated, but it just goes to just how freaky and frightening that concept is. And then when you feel like it's actually not that different than real life, that just adds a, a, another layer that'll never, that'll never not be relevant because um, I think we we've shown it in history, whether it was the genocide of indigenous people in, in America all the way till now and, and, and all, you know, the Romans and, and the French and everybody else that have conquered lands. It's just, there's always this sense of people that feel like they need to be in, in, in power over other human beings. And as long as there's going to be people that care more about power than other people, then this concept that get out had is going to be too real for a lot of people and to me, it's the scariest, one of the scariest concepts I've ever seen on film. And, uh, and so for me, it was, it was my, my number one for horror. We know with Get Out, too, you have, it's a wonderful metaphor for the appropriation, uh, like in the real world, the appropriation of African-American culture, whether it's through sports, whether it's through music, whether it's through fashion. And then at the same time, the uh, blatant, and consistent murder of African-American people, right? And so the movie Get Out is a wonderful, or I say maybe a terrifying metaphor of that exact concept in the well, real we, world. Like, we, we know what you mean by wonderful, but you know it's like uh, just how spot on it really does feel. 
Um, and unfortunately, that you know, wonderful as is is as terrifying as it gets. That it that it actually feels like no, that's exactly what it feels like. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly how scary this world is. And and it's not just that. I mean, you know, conversion therapy for people that are that are you know um, that are lesbian and gay, and and you know, it's like that. There's so many people out there that are that are treated subhuman for things that they can't control, and it's it just leads to I think what makes what Jordan Peele did such a masterpiece because it's going to live forever unfortunately because that's just the nature of human beings is that we've just made it feel like this is what life is where there's a, a caste system and um, you know from kings and queens that felt like they were better than their subjects all the way down to even today with the way people are in power it's you know people as soon as they get any kind of power they somehow lose their sense of empathy and sympathy for others and it's it's really frightening to to see and and we're starting to slowly finally peel back some of the layers of that um in society and exposing that and never stopping exposing that hopefully will start to lead to some actual change um in that but you know it's it's a pessimistic world that we're living in right now and and jordan peele had no problem throwing it right in our face um and and to me it's 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 something he'll be able to, to hang his hat on forever that he made a perfect film um, in the same way that some of these other films that we look at, whether it's John Carpenter or Stanley Kubrick or whoever, um, that they've made films that are going to live forever. Yeah, absolutely. The, the social relevancy of Get Out and of Us is undeniable. And uh, I love that it's an African-American director told through the lens of an African-American and is clear and really is, you know, unfortunately hitting on the pulse of kind of where we are today. Gentlemen, those were some monster lists, uh, pun intended. That was really, really good stuff, guys. Uh, this has been an excellent episode. Brian, thank you so much for coming on to the show, man. That was awesome. Candlestick Will, excellent, excellent guest that you brought on. But Brian, really Thank you. Honestly, that was a your your contribution was fantastic, man. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun to well, be here. Well, I got I got some homework guys. to do because we've we've got some movies that we haven't seen that we got to check out. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what old 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 films and new films? If you're a horror fan, we one of us got a movie you 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 have on your list. One, it's on one of our lists. That's how I feel at the end of this. Well, it was so comprehensive. Well, I think we I think we had enough enough different films that we've we've definitely given people some homework themselves. If they're listening, they're like, okay, I've never heard of that film, or or I have heard of that, but I haven't seen it yet. I got to check it out. So that that was that. Like I said from the beginning, that's what I was most excited about with this episode was to li- literally hear your list and, and of the 33 films plus, you know, what, what, what do you guys have that I haven't even heard of? And what do you have that I haven't seen yet? And what do you have that I did see, but maybe didn't like as much and maybe I should revisit it. So I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah. Same. I've got a couple movies now that I, uh, I have to go see, uh, that are now, I agree with you. I think all of us now have a couple movies. We're like, I, I gotta go either revisit or I have to, I have to see for the first time. Uh, so what are your top 11 movie horror movie villains of all time? Let us know in the comments. You can go to youtube.com slash the gold or you can go to at top 11 podcast on Twitter, top one, one podcast on twitter.com to let us know, or just reach out to us individually uh, online to talk with your favorite horror film 
villains are. I know this is definitely one of my favorite uh, genres of movie ever. I'm obsessed with it. I've been watching a lot of them during the quarantine. Um, that also felt pretty on brand for the last three months of life. <laughs> so, all right. We will be back. The next time we're back with the top 11, it will be to discuss who our top 11 villains of all time are. So now it is literally Michael Myers versus the Predator versus Darth Vader versus Hans Gruber to figure out who are the top 11 greatest uh, movie villains ever across all genres. Who are the number one guys? I, I don't. This is going to be an absolute bloodbath. I have no idea how uh, this is going to go down, guys. And as we've seen before, when we do these top 11 tournaments, guys who are ranked in certain places on on an individual list sometimes end up higher on on the when when put, put pitted against other characters so it's interesting how these things play out it's not you know it isn't a clear cut okay well all the number 1 guys are going to be in everyone's top 3 and then it's everything else in fact we've seen many times that these lists once you start putting these guys against each other the uh the lists can change dramatically so i'm very excited that'll probably be in about a week or so we will be releasing that video from this one um, this is actually coming out. If you're hearing this now, we were recording this on Thursday, June, what, July, July 10th, June, right? Thursday, June 11th. Like, June 11th. June, yeah, June. Most June, I, most I don't people know don't know what month it is. Uh, June okay. 11th. So, wait, this <laughs> will, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be coming out a week from now is when you'll be hearing this episode. So, uh, yeah, we, yes. We might have to make to a rule that we have to limit our we'll honorable back. mentions for that next episode, though. I know. It'll be every character from so every if you other. Want to list. hear honorable mentions? We have four other episodes you can check out. <laughs> I think that's. I th actually think that's the way to do it for the tournament. You get no honorable mentions. It's only the top guys. No, because yeah, you can I hear like the that. other episodes for the honorable mentions. That's a great rule. That's we just made that in real time. Excellent uh, contribution. All right, gang. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III. Raymond and with Salisa me is my first, brother, baby. my co-host, and our Candle esteemed co-host, Stick Will. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time. Same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast.